Hello, and welcome to The Assembly Line, an NES homebrew podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Kevin from Kahan Games. And I'm Bo from Soul Goose Productions. And we're here to talk about homebrews. Now, Bo, I'm going to name some games, and I want you to tell me what you think they might have in common. Ooh, a fun game. Okay. Yes, we're just going to start it off with a game You're deviating from the script. I'm telling you that right now. All right, so Zelda. Final Fantasy, Lolo, Ooh. Hmm. Mega Man. What do you think that these these games have in common? Other than Lolo, I could have said all ones that I like. <laughs> well, the correct answer is they're all part of a series. Oh, okay. That's how we're getting there. Okay, I see. What do you What do you think about series? I think, well, from which perspective? I, I could look at series in many different ways. I like seeing them on the shelf. I like playing through them, and I like, well, programming them. <laughs> <laughs> so you like them from all aspects? Generally, yeah, unless it's a bad one. like Or or I don't like the series you know, that they've ruined by not making a good game since number two. And yeah, they're 12. Which one are you referring to in, in, in that regard? Oh, in that regard? I mean, like, look at Mega Man. Like, after six, they all just kind of suck yeah yeah all right well let's let's focus it a little bit more let's look at like the importance of licensed era series games okay yeah um prior to the nes there had been i mean there'd been games obviously and there'd been some series but often they weren't as character driven as games on the nes and so when the nes you know took off they would People rallied behind these characters. I mean, Mario had cereal and tennis shoes, probably, and uh, <laughs> the the TV series. Like those were huge. Like, and they were all based on these characters, and you wanted to go on the journeys. And yeah. So you think that players getting to know the characters, like loving the characters, the companies making these games, wanted to sort of continue the stories and see where they could push the series in different ways. Well, they wanted they wanted your money is what they wanted. But <laughs> well, they got it. <laughs> yeah, well, they definitely did. I mean, like, as a kid, I, like, worshipped Mega Man. I mean, I drew the pictures. I would read all about him in Nintendo Power, watch the cartoon whenever it was on, which was very rare. Uh, but I think, <laughs> yeah, from a creator perspective, if you look at I'm going to pick Mega Man again uh, because Zelda 2 was an atrocity and should never be mentioned. Oh, you're going to get some hate mail for that. Hey, I always do. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> it's going to be you, isn't it? No, I mean, I do like Zelda 2, but it's not my favorite. We'll see. Uh, but like with Mega Man, if you look at Mega Man 1 and even Mega Man 2, there's such a jump. Like, Yes. You go from getting your feet wet to making almost one of the best games in the series like right off the bat it's yeah yeah and i just recently re or played mega man one for the first time and wow i mean that is jarring um (laughs) that's rough well okay so let's say let's look at the the appeal of series from like a programmer perspective like what can a programmer like what would a programmer want to accomplish by creating a vast series of games uh, I think it's that it's that growth, you know, you can constantly be growing without having to reinvent the entire wheel the whole time. It's mm-hmm. like you're, you know, building a faster race car without starting. That's a bad analogy. Uh, <laughs> like in my own life, uh, my own life, that sounds so vast. But in the last few years, 
a series. I have Swords and Runes. Like that's a series that I was involved with for the first one, and we made a second and a third, and then I decided to make my own sequel to it. And it feels weird, like making a sequel to somebody else's game, but like once you're invested in the series itself, you want to see it continue and grow and and push in different ways, even small ways. Yeah, and I think that it allows the game creator to, like, after you establish a world, being able to push it into a new direction, I think, uh, allows the programmer to accomplish something that you just can't do with a single game. Like, you have that sort of basis, and then you add that little wrinkle, and sometimes that wrinkle can sort of make all the difference in the world and make make it very creative and fresh and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it only and it only takes one thing to like mess everything up or to to add to it. <laughs> now, let me ask you a question, and I don't know if I've ever asked you this before. Oh boy. You you mentioned that you have made a sequel or some sequels to Swords and Runes. Um have you ever considered releasing them? Uh one of these days. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever considered a 0 to XI? <laughs> Oh, very, very good there. <laughs> All right. Um, so what are some notable homebrew series of games that have, you know, more than one? Yeah, so we're on the NES, you know, the console of series, and it just makes sense that other people would make series. Uh, one of the big ones is, of course, the 8-Bit Christmas series, which we oh. talked, about, uh, talked about a few episodes ago. And even though the games are very different each time, they have certain traits in terms of release style cartridge uh themes and all that like do you do you ever think that brian is going to at some point say kind of like the marvel universe that all of the christmas games are in the same universe and the snowball people know the santa know the pinball game all right that's ridiculous go on uh, it, knowing brian it could happen <laughs> he just, he's a wild card you never know with him uh what's another big homebrew series uh, the one that immediately comes to mind is uh, both of our favorites, Battle Kid. Oh, yeah. That is a series. Yeah, we got BK. We got BK2. And, and we have uh, the new one that was released on Famicom. Which is kind of like 1.5-ish. Right. Uh, it fits. Yeah. And w- after number two came out, I mean, that, the first thing people asked was, where's number three? Are you doing it? Like <laughs> they wanted more. They wanted to keep going back. They liked the f- style of the first two games. I mean, that's the nice thing about a series is you tend to, as a gamer, you tend to know what you're getting in yes. terms of basic gameplay that tends to be consistent across most. I mean, not the Christmas series, but you know, battle kid or uh, like the Han Halloween games. There's now two of those. And I think we should hopefully see a third this year. Well, there is another series of games that also breaks that mold. Yeah, yeah, there is. That would be the Candelabra series. Yes. (laughs) We have, of course, the Mad Wizard, Scarlet, or Scarlet Matron, which he's working on now, but Rise of Amandus, and then the other game that is currently on Kickstarter, and if you haven't backed it, pause the episode right now, go to Kickstarter and back it, Candelabra Estacero, the dungeon crawler. Yes, and those are... You mentioned four of them. There are like 12 total. And so it is, yeah, each, the series as a whole, Rob is doing some interesting things in that he's telling this large story from multiple angles, like different characters, points of view, and they're both good and evil. 
Yeah, I think that's what's most interesting is you get to play as each of the heroes individually and then as a group, but you also get to play from the sort of big bad bosses perspective in different games. So it's it's really unique. Yeah, well, and they each uh, use different genres of gameplay, which to me is like, as a programmer, I would never want to do that because I, like, <laughs> oh, I got to make like 12 different engines. Ah, right. I'm just going to make 12 games with one engine. Yeah, at least with, uh, you know, Battle Kid, you can kind of, you could probably tweak the engine a little bit, but at least the engine's there that you can just immediately build another game with. Oh, yeah. No, Rob starts from scratch. Every time. Absolutely. Uh, and he probably wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> no, he's a he's a mad wizard. Um, <laughs> so tell me about Candelabra Estasera, which was this was the first game that was re- like announced for the series way back in like 2013 or 2014. Yeah, it and was everybody a while was, ago. Everybody was hyped and we were all excited. And we're like, oh, Rob, you got to finish this game. I even messaged him at one point and was like, I want to be a tester for you. Like, this is so <laughs> neat. And he was like, yeah, okay, buddy. And I was like, all right, well, now we know each other. But um, is that how you first introduced yourself to him? Yeah, probably. I could I could go find the email. And it's, oh, it's, it's a gushing fanboy, embarrassing thing. I tend to send those to people. I hope they just delete <laughs> them. But I somewhere on my hard drive, there's evidence. It's um, adorable. But let's... Okay, so... Wait, I wasn't can- done. Oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I thought you asked me about Candelabra Estasera. Were you still rambling about your email to uh, Rob? No, no. So it was the... Estasera was the first announced, but oh, then that's right. he came out with the Mad Wizard and mm-hmm. then the Rise of Amandus, and Estasero kind of like got lost. It se- seemingly got lost in these this shuffle of other games. And uh, Kevin, you are going to tell us what Estasero is. Uh absolutely. So Candelabra Estasero is a three D maze dungeon crawler so like your mario looking around in 64 like that type no of thing? no 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 so, so i had to answer a lot of questions last week at uh pax <laughs> east and they're like 3d on the nes and i was like whoa whoa back up so yeah there are static images of a dungeon where you can kind of see if you can go forward or left or right and you sort of make your way through this dungeon and you actually have to pull out well, I guess you don't have to, but it will help you help you tremendously if you pulled out a piece of a notebook paper and a pen and actually drew the map um, because they are very large mazes and you will get lost. <laughs> yeah, this is the first game that I have ever pulled graph paper out and made yeah. a map. Um, it's It's interesting. It is. And I think... It's a different sort of pace. Like when you're playing a dungeon crawler, you can move at your own pace. You move forward. You can move any direction and you can kind of take your time mapping it out. And then you'll find that you drew too many squares in one direction and you have to start over. It's a huge (laughs) mess. But when you have the actual map done, you can fly through the floor like on, on subsequent playthroughs. And it's so it's such a good feeling knowing exactly where to go. And where the enemies are, because the enemies spawn in specific places. Now, the enemies themselves will be randomized, um, but the enemy 
the the squares that hold enemies are always the same so you know where they spawn and what's cool about this game is after each battle if you succeed you are awarded something either a specific uh, stat boost like strength or speed or you get a new weapon or a new piece of armor um, so your characters are slowly getting better and better and more powerful and faster but there's a lot of strategy involved at the same time because you have to decide is this character going to attack because if you attack you can't block for and for this like period of cooldown so you have to kind of pick your battles wisely uh and you will die a lot but man once you once you grasp the concept and the controls and like the whole idea it it is among my favorite experiences on the nes yes so it (laughs) play sorry i just rambled no i loved it that was that was wonderful (laughs) um comparable games would be things like wizardry or swords and serpents but like kevin mentioned one of the defining features of Astasaro in terms of strategy is that the the enemies are in fixed locations, mm-hmm. which you don't see a lot. I mean, like most, usually you only see that in in turn based strategy games like Fire Emblem and things like that. Like any regular RPG, they're random, and you know you can fight them over and over and keep gaining levels or whatever. But Astasaro, you have to be very careful how you go through that maze. Almost more like a roguelike where you you pick and choose your battles and. Yeah, and I forgot to mention one thing. Um, I did say, of course, that you can kind of move at your own pace, but he threw in randomized traps. Oh, yes. So you'll, like, stop to, like, look at your map and kind of get your bearings and all of a sudden realize that, you know, something is falling on you and you have to block in a certain order, and and it keeps you on your toes. Yeah, I mean, Rob is one of the most innovative people in the homebrew community in my mind uh, yes easily yeah i mean because he never he never sits still he never makes a direct sequel he is always trying to find ways to innovate and i don't i don't know what drives him to do these things but he does them so well and i don't know how he comes up with the ideas like they seem like i mean innovative is kind of the perfect word because on other dungeon crawlers you know the you can sort of when when you're attacking an enemy for the most part you can it's either turn based attack or it's action combat where you can sort of attack at will but he has this whole fresh new approach to combat that I personally have never seen in any other game and at first appearance it's like what is going on like yes. what are these <laughs> things moving around like how does it all work? And I do highly recommend reading the manual. But um, yes. once, like I said, once you get the hang of it, it feels so natural. Like it's amazing how your body can adapt to different control schemes. And after you have it, it just feels great. Well, can we talk about Rob's unique control scheme for Astasaro here? Sure. Okay, so the combat in Astasaro, uh, basically when you enter combat, Um, three arrows pop up in the top right-hand corner of the screen and start scrolling up and down uh, at slightly different speeds. And they scroll up and down right beside where the enemies are of whoever you're fighting. Now, the control scheme in Astasaro, you can either use two controllers um, turned sideways where the D-pads are kind of on top under your thumbs, or you can use a modified Virtual Boy controller as made famous in the popular NES homebrew, Spookatron, by yes, Soul Goose Productions. 
which nobody can buy yet, but soon. <laughs> so when you are in battle and the arrows are moving up and down, the way you attack is a different direction on the D-pad correlates to a different character in your party. So if you press left on the left D-pad, the character on the left will attack. If you press down on the left D-pad, the character in the middle will attack. Hubs. And then if you Yes, thank you. And then if you press right on the left D-pad, uh, the character on the right attacks. Heckle. Now you may be asking, well, what does up do? Up actually uh, casts magic. Um, and I don't remember which character it actually casts because there's two characters that can do magic and left on the, or sorry, up on the left D-pad is one character's magic and up on the right D-pad is the other character's magic. Now, the right D-pad, other than pressing up, the, the directions correlate exactly like the attacks. So if you press left on the right D-pad, the left character blocks. If you press down on the right D-pad, the middle character blocks and etc. So left attacking with the left controller, left blocking on the right controller, the same character. Uh, that's 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 controlled by the same characters. So you, it it probably sounds a little bit foreign and confusing, but once you very actually very complicated. Once you sit down and give it a little bit, it starts feeling more and more natural, and you will die a lot at first. And you're gonna be like, I don't know if I can handle this. This is this is a lot. But your brain slowly starts getting trained to where you can start attacking and defending without even, like, thinking about it. It just starts becoming natural. It's really bizarre and really fun. Well, and yeah, unlike most dungeon crawlers, this is active combat. You have your moving arrows, but as those arrows are moving, the enemies actually shoot, like, projectiles at the character portraits. And that's mm -hmm. how you're able to block. Like, as the things get close, you don't want to block too early, but, like, you hit the button... It'll throw up a shield and it'll, you actually like see the attack be blocked, uh, which mm -hmm. I have never seen done in a game before like this. Like, that's just nuts to me. Yeah, I don't um, know how he comes up with it. It's crazy. Um, but the projectiles combat the characters at different speeds and different monsters attack at different rates. So you have to kind of strategize which character attacks most frequently, try to take them out first. And then sort of, you know, take out the other enemies afterward. It's, 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 there's a lot of strategy that goes into the battle system and it's impossible to master. I mean, as far as I can tell, I've, I've played through the game three times now. Um, and I still, I still die. Like there's just no way around it, but you start minimizing <laughs> that and you do get revives, which you can use mid battle, which is awesome. Um, I don't know. It's just a lot of fun. Yeah, and if, if your character has attacked, there's a period there while they're like recharging or recovering yes. where they cannot block. So even if you're wanting to attack with the one guy and something gets shot at him or her, like it's like, oh, I gotta block and I gotta wait it out and I gotta be strategic with my yep. uh, with my choices. Yeah, um, it's crazy, man. But uh, I, uh, it's it's one of my favorite games. I would probably say. It's close Lizard? to my favorite homebrew, but Lizard. it's lizards up there. Uh, let's no Bo, Just no <laughs> <laughs> the mad lizard. <laughs> you leave my lizard alone. Uh, oh, another thing about exploring the dungeon, which like most dungeon crawlers, you get, well, I think uh, you get torches. And so like your torch will burn out and everything is black then and you can't see the map and you got to find the map to begin with. Mm -hmm. uh, 
It's very. I have not ever played a dungeon crawler. The closest I've gotten was Fantasy Star One because that's how the dungeons are in that. And then uh, Mystical Ninja of all things had like a dungeon crawler section, like a mini game, and that's pretty much it. Like I've been ever since Rob started this game, it was like that's the dungeon crawler I want to play first. And then as he's gotten closer and closer, and he's shared some stuff privately and whatnot, it's like. Yeah, I'm just going to wait till I can really play this. Like, <laughs> I finally got Etrian Odyssey, and I was very excited because you can like draw the map on the screen. I was like, no, I'm waiting for Rob's game. <laughs> and I'm so glad I did. Like, It's so unique. Yes. Yeah, after, just like you, I had never played any in the past. So when he presented the opportunity to, uh, to beta test, I, of course, jumped on it because anything Rob does, you know, is going to be unique. So I you know, was, was gung-ho about it. And after I got through that initial, like, oh my god, I'm terrible at this game, and I actually got the hang of it, you know, pushed through, beat the game, I was just hungry for, like, more dungeon crawlers. So I immediately jumped into Swords and Serpents, beat that game. Amazing. If you haven't played that, I would highly recommend it also. Um, Noted. It it could even tide you over until you get your hands on Astosero, listeners. Um, And I've tried all the (laughs) other dungeon crawlers on the NES, uh, hard as balls have not done anything on any of the other ones. I just always die immediately. But uh, Astosero and uh, Swords and Serpents, uh, highly recommended. It's just weird. It was such a popular genre for so many years. I mean, Hank Rogers with uh, Super Black Onyx, like before he did Tetris and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Shadow Brain and the Cleopatra. The NES has amazing dungeon crawlers and yet most of them have been translated but it's still not a genre that like really survived into 32 and 64 and 128 bit gameplay so it's uh i wonder why that is it's well did you ever play shadowgate 64 was that on the nintendo 64 that's probably a stupid question (laughs) <laughs> well yes but no i guess it was i never had one so no I've, I've never played it oh well go play that and uh tell me what you think and come on back so are you positively recommending it or saying like go try this and hate your life uh yeah that and was it like aiden chronicles i think that was sort of a it just because it's such a 2d style of gameplay it doesn't transfer yeah. over as okay well, well and Gamers back then, our generation, uh, <laughs> seemed to be gluttons for punishment with the uh, genre choices. Yeah. It's such a fun genre, though. Like, the, the sort of experience of not knowing what's coming up and having yes. to physically draw where you've been to keep track of where you are. It's just like, it's unlike anything else, but it's all like, it's doable because it's up to you to manage everything. Yeah, and I'm I'm as we know, I'm a big RPG player and even I've never played dungeon crawlers. They're like this weird western <laughs> difficult to understand thing. Uh, yeah. But I'm ready to change that. Before we get too much further, can you kind of frame tell me about the narrative of Astasero in relation to the other games in the Candelabra series? Like how does it fit in? Okay. So, Candelabra Astasero takes place after the Mad Wizard and the Scarlet Matron and the Warlord Slayer. Uh, and? Which, and Rise of Amandus. Thank you. Right? Okay. 
Well, I, I'm I'm framing it in the perspective of the characters that you're actually using <laughs> in Astasro. Like, and I think that's why he delayed the release of it because he wanted to focus on the individual player characters and you know allow the audience to learn about them. And then, oh, now you're playing with them all together on this grand adventure. So, um, yeah, at some point he said he was going to delay this one till like the first six games were done. <laughs> <laughs> it was like I think I think. I think we'll live without the full narrative right now. Just get it out. No. Yeah. So the, the three characters, Heckle and Hubs and Han, uh, are sort of summoned to a king, um, the king of uh, the region. I, I apologize. I don't know who he's the king of. The, the land. Um, <laughs> Can't go wrong with that. Yes, the land. Uh, and he has heard of uh, this candelabra which sits atop this plateau called Astasaro. And he quests, he tasks the player characters to go to Astasaro and retrieve the candelabra for him. So the characters are sent off into this dungeon. Apparently people have been sent prior who have not returned. So it's, it's a known dangerous place, but the characters are sort of tasked of getting through the dungeon to the plateau of Astasaro to retrieve the candelabra. And they don't really know what to expect. And and one other sort of aspect that we haven't talked about, the main communication after you're sort of cast out from the castle to, to go on this quest, you actually communicate directly with your god, um, Zekrom. Uh, I don't know if that's how it's pronounced, but it's X-E-C-R-O-M. I think. Well, we've never been big on pronouncing things correctly. That's true. Let's stick to uh, let's stick to what we're good at. Zekrom. Uh, Zekrom. Yeah, it's like you're from the uh, you know the south. Zekrom. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, at various stages in the maze, you'll come to a square where he communicates with you and says, you know, he'll give you a hint or he'll give you some sort of special something i don't want to spoil anything but usually it's a hint uh, or a riddle to go find a secret in the game and, and there are walls that you can walk through there are so many things that are hidden in this game it just feels i haven't really felt like i was on an adventure like this to this extent in in any other game in a long time like i really felt like i was in the middle of something special but yeah that's that's kind of the narrative you're you're sent off to a quest to retrieve the candelabra from Estasaro. Yeah, and you know, the it's such a vast series. The first game that came out was The Mad Wizard, and the second game is actually the prequel to The Mad Wizard where you're collecting, you play as the bad guy and collect the monsters and stuff that then The Mad Wizard has to fight in that game. It's It gets a little confusing, this side of having all 12 games done, but um, yeah, so the characters have all banded together at this point, and they're going to go through the maze. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so art wise what did you like or dislike tell us about the art in general and then we'll get into some likes and dislikes and and all that um the overall i want to say i love the art the the one thing that jumped out at me immediately when comparing it to other dungeon crawlers is that the the enemies that you're fighting don't show up in the 3d maze window like it you don't mm -hmm. see them in the maze they're actually off to that top right corner, like I mentioned, where the sort of combat animation takes place. So um, the enemies themselves all look very good. The dungeon maze looks very good. The characters on the bottom of the screen look amazing. 
it, it all feels like it's tied together very well. There's there's nothing that sort of stands out as not fitting in with the stylistic theme of the game. Yeah, it's weird to have three separate art styles on the same screen like that. Because mm-hmm. you've got the, the static maze, which requires on the NES a very specific way of doing things if you're not going to burn all your tiles. And then the enemies, yeah, with their little 16 by 16, like they look like the enemies from the Mad Wizard in terms of size and yes, and, and whatnot. And then you have these full character portraits at the bottom. It's just, it's, it's very well put together. And I never would have thought that I would say that had I just looked at a few, you know, still <laughs> images or a video. Yeah, I don't think you can fully grasp what's going on until you're actually playing it. I don't think the, the screenshots really do it justice. Um, but I will say one other thing that I haven't mentioned when you typically when you start out a floor, you know, that first battle that you enter, you're struggling a little bit because your characters are weak. They're slow. They're not upgraded at all. But by the time you get to the end of that floor and you've sort of killed all the enemies on the floor, you've gotten all the upgrades. You can actually tell a difference, a noticeable difference on the strength of your party which actually makes you want to keep playing because you can you can feel that progression like you're actually making a difference in this world. Stats are from experience really hard to do well. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Rob Rob nailed it with them, which is it's surprising when you have a system that's not straight experience based and doesn't have gold, and I'm talking about Swords and Runes 4 here. Uh, <laughs> it's very tricky to do. And so the way that he did it is um I don't want to say uh, rip-offable, something that, something that you want to steal, you know? <laughs> You're going to borrow that idea? I didn't say that, but maybe. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, but uh, there is an enemy counter on each floor, so you know how close you are to defeating all the enemies on each floor. And you're gonna There is? Want... Yeah, there is. It's, it's near where the uh, combat animation is. There's a little skull and an X, so enemy times whatever. Oh, man, do you know how many times I played Legend of Zelda and didn't realize that there was a death counter? (laughs) Pretty much the first 15 years. Um, I could never figure out why that number kept changing. Yeah. That apparently is a common trait in my life. Okay, go on. Sorry. Um, But you're going to want to you're going to want to do your best to clear each floor because you want as many upgrades and power ups as you can. Uh, before you progress further because it does get very hard and the enemies start doing some unique things that maybe aren't immediately apparent on like how to combat them i love when you're vague it's 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 just so fun (laughs) yeah i i I want the character i want the people listening to fully experience it without really any idea of what they're getting themselves into because that's part of the enjoyment like when you get to something and you literally stop and say what the fuck is happening like what is this enemy doing? How do I stop it? He's dodging everything I'm attacking. I don't get it. You have to figure it out, man. It's it's a blast. Well, I liked that um, even though the battle locations are fixed, the enemies that you fight are not. And mm-hmm. so sometimes you just get a bad hand and yeah. you're going to fight like super hard guys right away and just die. And it's like, well, that was that. <laughs> but if you get back to it and you get that string of like, oh, I just fought three battles and they were all easy. It's like, I'm going for it. We're going to fight. We're going to finish this floor today. And that's it. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought that was uh, motivating and fun. A lot of fun. 
There's something else about Rob games besides, you know, crazy control schemes that uh, take a lot of time to kind of master and feel comfortable with. I mean, Amandus had that crazy, you're controlling two characters with one <laughs> control pad. And that's still one of my favorite. I wish I really wanted to cover Amandus instead of Astacero, but, you know, timeliness says we should probably do Astacero. Because uh, I yeah. just feel like, it, I feel like not enough people know about that. Go, go check it out. That I mean, is that the common theme between all Rob games? They're underappreciated? Well, not all of them. Everybody loves the Mad Wizard. That's true. It's like number top three on almost anybody's list of best homebrews ever. Yeah, I don't think that. And Amandus is like, that was released? I don't remember that. It's a shame. I remember when I came up to visit you and we played through that game in in two players. Like It was so fun. Yes, it is amazing. It was also released the same week that five other games were released and just got yeah. buried it's a like shame, nobody man. even and then it then it was you know uh ceased production and it's hard to harder to find now because not a lot of copies were made and uh but you can the, download the rom from well you can website. download the rom and it's it's an amazing two-player shooter and you can also buy a cart copy right now with the kickstarter which we'll get to in a bit oh but, yeah um, yeah, so common themes between Rob games, crazy control schemes, unique genres, and also music. Yeah. I know you want to talk about this, but uh, yeah. Rob music, you can identify a mile away by yeah. the beats. He has, he of course has sort of, uh, he, everyone, well, I don't know if everyone, but a lot of people knows he plays bass in or in, in various bands, so he has sort of a... I don't want to say like a heavy metal influence, but he has a lot of like heavier sounds in his 8-bit music. So yeah, you can you can hear sort of the crunchy distortion and the beats and they just have such a a unique sound um that yeah, it's it's immediately discernible uh when you're listening to a Rob song. And and he hasn't stuck with the same style of music throughout the series like the Mad Wizard had a very NES feel to it, but the rise of Amandus had like he has a level where it basically stops just so you can hear this solo song for like two minutes. <laughs> yeah, he does. He does a really cool thing at the beginning of the game, like when you when you enter the dungeon, there's just silence. And I don't yeah. know if he did this because like he wants you to feel sort of the the seclusion you know you're in this dungeon you don't know what's going on you don't know where you are you don't know what to expect but after you hit a specific square the music kicks in and it's like oh hell yeah like it's happening find me a battle (laughs) yeah and it's good music like i would listen to this on a cd or an nsf or whatever i can figure out how to play in my car which is a mess but anyways um yeah, his music is just so unique. And you've talked about it before, Kevin, with due to the him being a bassist and everything, like that's the focal point of it all, I guess. I think that's how and I and I apologize if I'm getting it wrong, but I, I feel like I remember him saying that's how he starts writing his tunes. Like he'll sit down with his bass, come up with a riff, and then, you know, enter that into the code and then build the song around that. So it does definitely wind up being sort of the meat uh of the composition so as 
as is very apparent, we are both kind of uh, larger fans of this game, although in true lizard fashion, this is more you than me. <laughs> uh, what are some of the most memorable moments in the game for you? Well, I don't want to be an asshole, but I will say that the most memorable moment is what happens at the end, and I oh, no. can't wait for people to get there and experience that and i want to know what they think because it is not it was it was all the dream wasn't it (laughs) no thanks m night but that's what it is not what you expect um but uh i would say uh other memorable moments um when you find there's a, a pickaxe in the game that you can pick up on the second floor and then you start coming across walls that are slightly cracked that you there's one on the first floor is there Oh, yeah. Are you sure? Well, at least in the version I played. Okay. Um, well, yeah, you can use the pickaxe to break through walls, um, and there's you know sometimes stuff hidden in there. But I think my favorite thing is finding a wall that you can walk through. Um, Ooh. It just feels so... It feels like you've stumbled upon something really secretive and special like it's like oh what's back here and then you have to kind of like figure out how to map it on your map and how do i identify this in the future but like there are there are really cool things that you can find that reward exploration yeah that's the hard part about a rob game is there's several memorable moments Mm -hmm. and like the music like sticks in my head for days the combat is unique and interesting frustrating at times but if you're playing with a modified Virtual Boy controller, it's, it's quite pleasant. <laughs> um, toot horn. And, but I think the most interesting thing to me was finally having an excuse to break out that graph paper and make a map. Yep. And, that, I mean, you, you, not a lot of games you finish and you have something physical to show for right. it. And I sort yeah. of uh, cheapened out. Like when I started playing it for the first time, I used graph paper and I messed up so many times that I said there has to be in 20, I, I guess it was 27, no, it was probably 2018 when I played it for the first time. There has to be a modern way to do this. So I like searched for a program on the internet that would allow me to create maps digitally. So if I screw up, I can just, you know, delete that square. Um, and I did find something. Uh, I don't remember what it's called. Dun- dungeoneering something rather. Um, but yeah, like... Being able to uh, create a map without fear of screwing up really, really helped me out because I made so many damn mistakes. The next episode's intro topic will be how Kevin's a sellout. Uh, (laughs) Bracing everyone for that now. Well, you know, I I do what I have to do to get through a game. And this game in particular, would you replay it? Oh, hell yes. Have and, or would and have. Um, When you have the maps done, like I said earlier, you know where all the enemies are, so you can sort of challenge yourself like, okay, this time I want to get through the game without using a revive. And, oh, this time I want to get through the game without using a single torch. Because once you have the map, you don't need the torches to see where you are, right? Ooh, nice. But once you start introducing teleporters into the game that transport you to a completely random spot, it's tough because you, even if you have a map, you're like, oh, crap, like, which square did that send me to? I didn't write that down. So, um, man, it's it's so, some of the levels get so sprawling and huge. He does a very good job of making you feel uh, disoriented. 
One of my biggest issues with replayability and homebrews in general, uh, games in general, but particularly homebrews because, you know, that's what, what we cover, is that you can find everything the first time, or you often do. Like, there's no secrets. Like, they're still finding secrets in Mario. Yeah. Uh, the first one. And do you feel as though you found everything in Astasaro, or do you think that there's stuff still hidden and lurking behind those corners? I know for a fact I have not found everything, um, because Rob has asked me, hey, did you find so-and-so? And I'm like, what? What's that? So um, when you come into those squares where uh, God is speaking to you, Zekrom, he gives you riddles and those riddles aren't just gibberish. Like they could uh, actually lead you to a hidden corridor, you know, somewhere. Yeah, looking Peninsula East. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> grumble, grumble. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but yeah, these this these riddles aren't bad because of bad translation. He He crafts them very well. Yeah, I, I really, I don't think I've, I mean, I've scratched the surface of Astasaro, but I know that there is, Rob as a dev is just, he's an interesting, crazy guy who hides stuff and he gets a thrill out of you not finding everything. So he's going to put stuff in there. Yeah, I love the thought and effort he puts, it, puts into his games. I mean, you can really, oh. you can really tell uh, that a lot of love went into these. The few people match his, match his talent and it's, i hate that he's going to listen to this and hear that and get his little blush moment going. But uh, he's so modest. Uh, God, he's going to tell us he loves us again. Oh, I hate when he tells us he loves us. Uh, that's that's always weird. But um, yeah, it's it's a great game. It, it's it's frustrating because of the combat. Like, I'll give it that. Like, that to me is it's difficult to grasp. And it's taken me a long time to get comfortable with it. But even I've made progress and I suck at games. So yeah, I think that sort of falls along the same line as his Black Box Challenge. Like, when I first played Black Box Challenge... Spoiler alerts, I, I haven't played it yet. Well, I, I mean, this isn't going to spoil anything. I just... It, right. It's the same right. kind of thing. Like, combat at first doesn't make any sense. You're like, what is... What's going on? But after you sort of understand how to do it, it feels so perfect. By the end of the game, you're like, I something special just happened. And... It it isn't like something like that doesn't come out of many people, but Rob consistently has this unique, amazing experiences that he's putting out for people to uh, to play. Well, there's this weird temptation as a programmer, like when you're sitting there with the code and you're sitting there with the controls and you have a lot of time on your hands and you want to be sort of original. You're like, what if I made the player do this to like press a button <laughs> like you come up with these really weird crazy schemes that are very obtuse and difficult to grasp you throw obtuse in everywhere you can don't you i've just gotten so used to it now <laughs> um but yeah i mean look at nes cape it's uh very obtuse and the control scheme is just horrid all right and but <laughs> but rob the way that he does them even if it doesn't make sense at first, it's actually playable. Um, yeah. And I, I love them. Yeah. You know, any day that you can get a developer of uh, a prospective game on your podcast to talk to you directly, it's always a treat. Um, but actually getting someone who has inspired you for a number of years directly um, and whose games you consider among your favorites. I get that uh, every week, don't I? Oh, I'm not talking about you, Bo. Oh, I mean, okay. all right. 
different, different <laughs> caliber of people here. Yes. I'm t- talking about good developers. Oh, there it is. All right. But here today, we are lucky enough to actually have Rob from Sly Dog Studios on to talk to directly about uh, his sort of process and uh, inspirations for Candelabra Estas Rob, are you here with us today? Oh, yes, please. Did, are you snapping? Who's snapping? That was me. It's not me. <laughs> <laughs> so you are here. Uh, I is. Howdy. Are you snapping because I'm like, I spoke like a beatnik? Like, what's that about? I don't know. I just started doing the Lone Ranger gallop thingy. Oh, okay. I'm, so you weren't snapping like you were at a poetry reading. I've had I've had a screwdriver and a half. All right. Oh boy. <laughs> no, he's snapping like we're in a burned out, you know, dock and doing this recording all together. Is that yes, what one go. does? Oh, okay. That this is off to a very good start. <laughs> always, always. Rob, did you or did you not program Candelabra Estasero? Guilty. Okay. Behind. The Candelabra Estacero. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, wow, that that one hurts. We'll just move on from that. That's when I would insert my cricket sound effect. Oh, if you could never do that again, I'd be happy. Um, yeah, I won't. Don't worry. Did you end up taking those out? Oh, no, they they stayed in for sure. Oh, that worries me. Okay. So, I don't think anyone commented on it either, so. Oh, they, they, didn't, want to, they didn't want to shame you. Um, I don't. Yeah, I, I appreciate yes. that because it was pretty, pretty gaudy. Anyways, um, <laughs> so Rob, going behind this candelabra, as we'll call it, of your series, candelabra, ah, uh, you, <laughs> you have created uh, a brace of conies here, a masterful set of games, and why? Can you tell us why are you making so many games in the same series about the same things in so many different genres? Where did this all come from? God, <laughs> this is one of those things that always has a uh, a lot of answers to. There's, <laughs> and like it, it's it's I can't even really pin down like because the original concept of Estosero was to be a uh, dungeon crawler that was fast-paced. And, you know, so it was like an RPG game that you're supposed to be able to beat within one sitting, you know, like Ninja Gaiden, you know, like just run through it. But uh, Yeah, because that happens. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Only if you're wrong. Well. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, but that was the main concept behind it, you know, like a dungeon crawler, 3D maze, that you could uh, navigate fairly quickly, and you know, it was probably going to be around two hours long uh, max. I mean, not even not even that long was what I, my plans were. I just didn't know how people would be able to you know map out a 3D maze. But uh, I wanted it to be a fast-paced thing. But then, in the middle of developing it, I decided to that I wanted to make uh, more of a platform game, and that's when we switched to Mad Wizard. Oh. And uh, in the middle of developing that, I was like, you know what? Why don't we make this wizard the same one from Astosro? Oh, okay. You know, that third character on the far right. Yeah. Why don't we make that <laughs> him? 
This this will be heckle. So it started going from there, and it wasn't even solidified after Mad Wizard that it was going to be a huge series. Where where I really decided that I wanted to make it a bigger series was during the Rise of Omnibus. I was like, okay, yeah, let's make it a really big series. You know? Well, I mean, it makes sense because you had, you know, Heckle from the Mad Wizard, whose story you had already started, you know, programming at that point when you decided that he was going to be part of Candelabra. And then when you look at these other two characters, you want to know what their backstories are too. Right. And uh, that that and where a lot of that comes from is there's a couple of different places. One one thing is the Shinmu what was supposed to be the Shinmu series. Like, the big... The, that guy had planned, like, massive amounts of games Oh, you're Shinmu. talking 128-bit series. Dreamcast. Yes. Like, there was gonna... That guy had planned, like, a bunch of games. And I... <clears throat> that was something that I always thought was like, huh, interesting. You know? He already has an idea of what he wants to do then. You know? And, uh, I was like, hmm, all right. Maybe, maybe, you know, since I've already started down this path, maybe I'll just make it this big old world. And uh, at the time, the guy I was working with, you know, he, he was going to be with me, and uh, we were both going to work together on it. And uh, a- another big aspect of influence, I guess, w- comes from a book series called The Eternal Champion by <laughs> Michael Moorcock. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's a... Great last name. I wish it were mine. But uh, no, <laughs> but Morcock, he he wrote yes. <laughs> that he, he, he has he, such a <laughs> ring to it. <laughs> Sorry, Rob. Proceed. Oh, Insert your comments I'm all, here. I'm all flushed. Oh, comments. Okay. But uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not more of that. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So he he wrote like a bunch of books about this thing called the eternal champion and he would have different people that were like the eternal champion within these different like i guess you could call them realms or something and it was like different places in time and stuff too just this crazy big massive story that he had but it was like not all of them intertwined either but when they did intertwine like he had books where uh like the vanishing tower from the Elric saga. Elric was one of one of these champions and the actual alternate to him, one of the alternates to him when he the, he wrote this book, he wrote a book about this guy but then told that story from his point of view. Oh cool. Instead of Elric's point of view. And I don't know, is like that's always been a like that's my favorite fantasy author. Really? I have passed his books up on the shelf for 20 years now and like been like that's a weird last name i'm not gonna read him (laughs) that's how i judge authors by two their last name i mean yeah of course (laughs) no he like especially the elric saga and the the quorum books i really like quorum a lot too like you should check him out, man. I think you'd really dig him. This con- this slightly conflicts with what I've heard about the Candelabra series before, where it was it was born out of your days as a dungeon master in the dark basements <laughs> of Illinois. Is that no, no? You're thinking about Candelabra itself, like uh, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, no, my my forum name Roth 
comes from my old Dungeons and Dragons days. That was my character. It'd be name. like having a character named Hank. Come on. Now, well, were, were you the DM? Oh, I guess you weren't the DM if you had no, a character. No, no. Yeah, I had a character. Mm, nice. And, uh, but yeah, that was, that's where that came from, Roth. And I used to use the name Roth, Han, Heckle, and Hubs. No shit. Within NES games that I would play. I knew there was huh. more and, to this. Uh, and that's that, awesome. Uh, Final Fantasy was the uh, uh, main one that I first played with all four of them named that. And uh, all Hubs, white mages. Hubs was the white mage, <laughs> which is why she's going to look how she looks on Scarlet Matron. Uh, Heckle was the dark mage, which is why he's wearing blue. Oh, and then, uh, okay. Yeah. Han was the red mage, which is why he's, he's going to be more of a brownish armor-wielding guy, but... But uh, you know, in in Candelabra, he he's not a uh, he doesn't like magic. He doesn't trust it. So he's kind of worthless because he's a red mage. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Rob, let me ask you a question. When you look at other game series, you kind of know when a new one comes out what you're gonna get from the game because you've played you know the other ones in the series and they're all somewhat similar, maybe using the same engine. What prompted you to create brand new genres? Well, I guess you're not creating genres, but you're you're using different genres for each of these games. Like, what is your reasoning behind that? Well, number one, I you know I want to try and make make different kinds of games. And number two, each each instance of a character can lend themselves to a different style of game. So, like uh, with Astasaro, you know, it's all three. It could have been it could have been a top down RPG with them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Bo would have been happy. But oh, I really, I been you know, so I wanted happy. <laughs> I wanted to make a uh, you know uh, standard. Uh, dungeon crawler, JRPG, uh, very standard, unstandard, unstandard <laughs> dungeon crawler. But then you know each character is going to have their own abilities, and and I think that lends themselves to a different style of gameplay anyway. And also, I, I, I like the fact that some games, like during the NES day, they they weren't afraid to uh, change things. Like for instance. Mario 1 to Mario 2. If you say Zelda USA. 2, I will lose my stuff. Zelda 1 to <laughs> Zelda 2. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Do you think that they... I mean, I guess in the end it doesn't matter, but do you think that they actually like said, okay, let's go out of our comfort zone to make this Mario 2? Or did they say, oh, we have this game, let's just slap some new sprites, some Mario sprites on it and release it because we want to put this out? I don't think that's uh, a good example. No, no, that one. Too. But either which way, it don't matter. Oh, I will. It's like it's because they they took a leap to a different style. You know That's what I mean? That's true. That's true. They they're like, here's a different style. Like they release the same style in uh Japan with Mario Two itself. Yeah. And when people play it now, like a lot of people are like, yeah, it's fun for the challenge. I don't think I think it's a very boring game myself. But it has but, wind. Uh, yeah, a lot of people are like, <laughs> but it's challenging, so they like that. But a lot of folks are also like, yeah, but what we got, I think, it was better because yeah, I, who who knows where Mario would have went if we would have got Mario two and been like, eh, you know what I mean? Yeah, because it has it had exactly the same graphics. Oh, yeah. Mario two USA is like my favorite Mario, so you can yeah, back it's, off it's of that. Damn- 
It's damn amazing. Game. We were yes. talking about Zelda 2 and the atrocity that that is, though, last I checked. It's not It's not bad. Atrocity? Oh, okay. oh, I need you to Candela- explain yourself. Candelabra. I hear that there's this mad wizard, there's this <laughs> scarlet matron, and there's this warlord slayer, and they've come together to band together, uh, to use that word again, on this <laughs> quest. Together. How- together thank you i just your vision how do you deal with the weight of that large of a series hanging on you to do 12 games when you're only at number two i just program it i i don't know (laughs) i just like i i like i the only weight on me is that i want to get them done you know what i mean that's a weight yes and do you uh, think that you actually will like do you i know that you want to but do you think that it's something that you will accomplish it's feasible. It's just a matter of uh, doing it, you know. And I, I, I think I will. Um, it's I just hope so. the hardest part is just. I think it's just life in general, you know, that makes makes it hard. Like, cause you only get so much time, even when you're like the stay at home person that takes care of the kid, you know. And I, I it, it feels like you only get so much right time. Now. Hey, I, I don't add sound effects. I, I want a, I want a violin. Ooh, noted, <laughs> noted. <laughs> but you've done so well. Like you had this vision, and you've already done three games. I know there's a lot more, but like a yeah. lot of us sit there and we go, you know, if I can make a sequel to this and a sequel to that, maybe a prequel here. Like maybe this one game would kind of make sense if I did these six other games. Like you've already done three of them and are working actively on the fourth. Like right, and it's not even like your it's not like you're just putting out whatever you can come up with though. Like you're like putting out consistently good games. Let's, uh, let's talk about your music creation process. The music in this game is so badass. Oh, when you, you sit down to compose a tune, like what's your process <laughs> like? It varies. It varies. Sometimes I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a bass player, so sometimes I pick up my bass and, uh, you know, I come up with a little something, and then uh, I'll put it into the ROM, you know, I'll type it in with hex and all that, and play it back, and then I'll go from there. Sometimes I'll uh, just start straight off. Uh, I'll I'll think of, like, a note, (laughs) just any note. I'll be like, I'm going to start with D, (laughs) you know, and, and I'll just type that in, and then I'll you know, think of, you know, basic theory and go with different rhythms and then I'll play it back and I'll go, okay. And I'll, it just depends on what my mood is like, you know. That's so funny. Like, I, I, you know, obviously I've heard of people just like, you know, oh, I have this melody in my head. I'm going to try typing in these notes. Oh, maybe I'll change the key. I've never heard of anyone saying, well, A sharp. That's what I'm starting with <laughs> on this song and going from there. That's so hilarious. Well. <clears throat> I, I there's a few that I I, t- I tend to try and stick with, especially with Candelabra. It's not an exact key or anything, but <clears throat> there's certain notes that I kind of lean toward, and uh, just to try and keep a familiar feel. And uh, yeah, so oh, totally. this is one of the weird things. I just want to clarify this while we're here because this sets you at a whole different level from the uh, Muggles. You are actually writing your music in hex, yes? 
Yeah, yeah. You're uh, not well, using those so, family trackers and. Uh, oh no 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 <laughs> no. no. Dra- uh, Dragon SF is the one I use. The uh, uh, what do you call it? Engine. The engine I use. So it's not a tracker. No, it's just uh, you input the hex. I told you he's the mad wizard. How? Like how? How can you exactly even know what how? that's gonna sound like? Well, like when you play your bass, you know what it's gonna sound like. Well, you, you know when I play it. my bass. Okay. <clears throat> and see. then, and then, even without that, like, like you know what the <laughs> notes are. You know what I mean? You're like, okay, I I know some key stuff. You know, yeah. you know. So you you start with a few things, and you're like, eh, no, no, yeah, okay, yeah, that, no, no. Put a little know, minor it, third here, augmented yeah, fifth here. Yeah, I get you. Uh, I'll harmonize here. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. Let me try the major I, third. I get you both know. of you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let me ask you another question. It's related to music. Um, music. Since we're, we're here right now, the ending song when you beat the Mad Wizard is is what it is. The title song. For Candelabra Estasro is that same song. Was that a conscious decision to tie the games together, or what? Uh, not really. No. Oh. <laughs> Good. Well, a little bit. Well, look, a little bit. If I had it to do over, I would make the Mad Wizard's ending song the same ending song as uh, what you hear on Estasro at the end. Okay. Um, but uh, taking a situation that. I wish I could, you know, switch up a little bit. I've, I've decided to change the idea of what, what you hear on the title screen for Estosero for what that is, and that's something that'll be revealed down the pike. Oh, I love Rob's mysteries. Um, <laughs> I got one other question for you, and Kevin probably has ten others, but I have one more in particular. Eleven. <sighs> Fine. <laughs> um... So, Estasro's been on Kickstarter now for 20 days. It's got about uh, seven to nine left because I can't really count. And, well, by the time this goes to air, it won't matter anyways because it'll be after that. But right. um, what are your thoughts on, like, seeing the Kickstarter? Like, I'm amazed. Uh, I, I never imagined that a uh, dungeon crawler would have the support of what it is over, like, 200 backers now. Yeah. Yeah. 220. Yeah. Like, I, I did not ever foresee people being like oh dungeon crawler okay you know <laughs> i can get behind that yeah. yeah like my my whole experience online in the nes milieu very nice is that is that people shied away from it for the most part like they didn't like 3d mazes they would say oh lone ranger is cool except for those 3d mazes <laughs> Google 13 was cool, except for those 3D mazes. I like Dungeon Magic, except it's all 3D mazes, or mazes, you know? <laughs> it's a great title screen, though. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so it's it's pretty cool to see. I'm like, interesting. All right. That's cool. <laughs> you know? Well, everybody loved the demo you released a couple Aprils ago. Oh, the, you can has magic. <laughs> I can has not hear you. They they can find it themselves. It's, it's in the show notes. Okay. And if this one's not, I guess I will. Yeah, I'll put it there. Whatever. So I got <laughs> I got two more two more basic questions for you. Um, and this goes back to sort of a a gameplay. I've Does... never programmed in basic. No. All right. Have you smoked basics? 
Okay. I have. Yes. All right. So this is a sort of a game design choice. Like when you think of a dungeon crawler, you think of you know, party Wizardry. management, you have to keep track of who has what weapon. You come across another weapon. You have to see if it's better than the weapon you're carrying, a la Swords and Serpents. Like when you, mm. in, in Astosero, you will occasionally, you know, when you defeat some enemies, you will be rewarded something. And if it is a weapon or a piece of armor, it is immediately better than what you already have because it is the next progression of, you know, whatever item you're you're having. Was that because you were trying to keep it streamlined with your idea of sitting down to get through the game quickly? Or was it just easier to program that way? Like, what was your reasoning behind that? Mm. Uh, the former, exactly what you said. Okay. I wanted it to be where you would just go through the game and you don't have to go through all this management stuff. The only the only management stuff you would have to do is uh, what magic does Hubs and Heckle have equipped at yeah. this point. You know what I mean? No, I love that. It, it really opens up the door to focus on the task at hand, clearing the floor, defeating whatever enemies are in front of you at the time. You don't have to worry about, do I have the best weapon that I can have right now? Because you do. Like, you don't have to worry about all that nonsense. Oh, I can only carry three things. Let me give this item to this other guy so I can have room to pick up this mm. thing. Like, it's Swords and right. Serpents, I think. And I Sweet Home comes to mind. I know that's not a dungeon crawler, but that has such limited inventory that you have to constantly shuffle. And it's like a pain in the ass. I just want to experience the game. And I think that is one of the most beautiful things about Candelabra Estosro. You can just sit down, not worry about that stuff you just sit down and enjoy the game oh not a jrpg player are you (laughs) no well speaking of swords and serpents that's uh that was a big influence on this game like uh, oh man so good like the layout like just the layout of the game itself you know with the three different bombs your characters uh over on the right you see the health bars of the enemies on the left is the uh maze itself mm-hmm. you know that was, that was a big influence uh the first boss even played a hand in part of this story of candelabra ah. so uh they, yeah that that game was a huge influence on me well Dang. let's let's talk yeah. about we we don't talk about like stuff from an actual like programming standpoint too often in this podcast because we like to keep it kind of easy tight to digest for everyone but um, talk about what, when you programmed the actual dungeon maze, the 3D part of this game, how, do you redraw that whole scene each time someone moves? Like, how is that drawn from a programming perspective? Nerd alert. Uh, oh, okay. Like, so when, when you're in the maze and you move forward, for instance, how, how do I draw the tiles? Yeah, like if someone wanted to create, say, their own dungeon crawler, what sort of, like, how what, what things would they have to consider when drawing the 3D maze part? Yes, help me well, rip this off. W- one of the... Th- <laughs> one, one of the what, what I wanted to do was make movement apparent. So, uh, which... It doesn't come through the whole time because okay, I'll, I'll explain why too. <clears throat> this Please. this also this also happened in like Gogo Thirteen Moffat Conspiracy, which I'll tie into it. Okay, so when you move forward, I wanted the idea of well, you're moving forward, right? Okay. I didn't want it to just 
you know, change the screen. So I, I actively made it to where the middle, it goes, for, it loads from the middle and to the left and to the right at the same time when you move, move forward. So it's like, zoop, you know what I mean? <laughs> okay. And you can actually see it doing it. So, so it gives that momentum. It has a feel of momentum. Right. Uh, and when you move left or right, I, I made it to where it loads in that direction. So it's like, it's almost like turning your head in that direction. Oh. And that, I, that idea came from, on the NES, it was Wizardry or Dungeon Magic. I cannot remember which one. But what they did was they loaded it off screen and, when you turn, they would scroll to the next name table in that oh, direction. Oh, that's cool. So that was the influence for that. And then when it comes to uh, turning around, I was like, well, if you're going to turn around, you want to make sure you know, you know, like if you accidentally hit a direction and you see it on screen, I want you to know that you turned around. So I made, I made it like go black. You know what I mean? So it's obvious that you turned around and didn't go forward or turn left or right. So it turns black and then it loads. Yeah, and then and then you see where you're at. Huh, that's so cool that you put... Like, I, I've played through it a few times and I don't even think I... Like, I now that I stop and analyze it, like, I think I've seen it, but it just seems so natural. That's really cool that you put that much thought into it. Well, I'm glad it feels natural, <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, that's awesome. Well, we've talked about music. Um, do you have... I, I want to feature some music for this game because I really want to showcase how each song, for like each piece from each floor kind of builds upon the previous iteration. Like, do you have any specific music from this game that you would like to feature? You can either pick like two battle, like boss songs or two uh, floor songs. I think uh, if if I had to pick things, you do. I, I would, <laughs> well played. Since I have since I have to pick things, uh, I would say uh, uh, floor two music and floor four music, or floor two boss and floor four boss. But I'd also like to mention uh, I don't see this. This is something I like to do. Uh, I've done it on a couple of games. Like, for instance, the enemies. When you go into a regular enemy battle on Estacero, like, all of the music is different on each floor, but there's a theme to it. Like, they, they the solo part is always the same, but the rhythm is different. Hmm. And I did something similar on Black Box Challenge, the overworld music. There's three different overworld musics you can choose from, from Dr. Was it Dr. Smile? Mr. Smile? Can't remember his name. <laughs> but uh noise channel you know the drums yeah. the drums are the drums are the same on all three songs and okay. everything else is different because i thought that would help tie it all together and still sound good yeah and that's there's, that there's was that that there's that that familiar theme that you subconsciously know sounds you know familiar but then you got the right. new stuff on top of it yeah and that's what i did with the the all the enemy fights on astosero I even did the same thing on uh, the demo for Estacero. Kept the same theme, but changed the rhythm. Yeah, yeah. You can has beats. <laughs> yes. Can has. <laughs> well, let's listen to these beats, all right? Check out this music from Candelabra Estacero. Thanks for coming on, Rob. Oh, hey. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thank you. 
So what uh, do we want to talk about the Kickstarter now? Like what sort of release formats, different editions? Like what's the plan for releasing this game? Well, if you want to go play the game right now, you can download the ROM from 2014, I think. He decided he was done with the game. Things were taking too long and he released a ROM on Nintendo Age. You can go find it and have a good little laugh there. <laughs> uh, and you'll have to go download it to figure out what I mean. But I, I actually didn't know what you were talking about until you put that little tagline at the end. So yeah, now it makes sense. <laughs> oh, that's cute. Um, but so yes, Astasaro is finally ready to see real physical production release. And our good friend Kevbot, other Kevin, as I like to call him. Yeah. Because there's just, we have like six names in the community. There are like seven Toms, 50 Kevins, a bunch of Tims. It's just diversity. We need diversity. But other Kevin, he has uh, is helping to get it to market. It's being released through him. He does the homebrew highlights uh, arcade cabinets at the various shows. They're these little tiny arcade cabinets that are very small, but mm-hmm. they they hold games in them. And uh, on the Kickstarter, he has several tiers. You can just get Estacero, uh ROM release. Yes, a ROM release. Uh, people are doing that these days. If you just want to play it on the Power Pack or an EverDrive or on, you know, uh, Nesticle or whatever. <laughs> Actually, it won't run on Nesticle, but the others it'll run on. And he's doing that. That You can get a cart only. You can get a full CIB complete in box. And you can also get the trilogy of games that has been released. That'd be The Mad Wizard, Rise of Amandus, and Astasaro, all in black box format. Yeah. Like the black box style art. That's cool. And, you know, six games for 180 is not, in my mind, terrible. That's 60 bucks a game. And uh, Rise of Amandus and The Mad Wizard were available for years on Retro USB. And they were all discontinued last year, and, and so they never came much... with they never came with boxes unless you ordered yeah, them separately from NES City or whatever. Yeah, they they this is like the first CIB release of those. Yeah, and I'm tempted to go get yet another copy uh, <laughs> because that black box art is sexy. It is sexy, and yeah. So there's there's a few options. I think he's going to offer it after the Kickstarter, of course. Um, anything else you want to add there? Uh, a couple things. Um, uh, I figured because you were silent. The game has already funded, so it is it is doing well. Um, we're very very happy to see that because you mm-hmm. know the the one thing we always say about Rob's games is like not enough people know that they exist and have played them. Like they're just so good. So seeing this game uh, get funded as well as it's doing, uh, it's very nice to see. But uh, the most important and exciting thing that i think uh is that kev is uh putting shirts out astacero oh, shirts i want to wear my love for this game outside of uh my basement no oh, goodness i just had to watch him in an incident t-shirt the other day which was just sad <laughs> i love when he wears that i we usually wear it on the same day at the expos <laughs> Oh, goodness. My, my worry is when I put out the Any Escape uh, Kickstarter, people are going to go, Kevin, didn't he already do a Kickstarter? Who is this guy? So, yeah. uh, might need to change my name. Because you all have the then. same name. Yeah, it's yeah. a shame. 
Yeah, so it's on Kickstarter. Um, if you can't find it, email Kevin Hanley. He will tell you where to go find it. And I'll put it in the show notes. I don't, you know, I've never actually looked at the show notes. You you always say I'm going to put this or that in the show notes, and I don't think you put anything I in the I have show notes. always put everything I say I'm going to put there in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Never let sure. anyone down in that regard. No, they haven't complained yet. That's but, true. Uh, you should complain to Kevin Hanley at A Ton of Glaciers <laughs> on Twitter and various other places around the interwebs. But we are going to talk with Kev here because it's kind of weird, like in the whole publisher developer thing like some people just want to make games and they need help getting them to market and that's where the publisher tends to come in and so kev has put out several games over the years he's put out a lot of stuff by uh vetrix 28 and a few other people uh he's he's done his scare cart jeez he he's actually done done a lot now that i think about it and see it all at once um he's been around the block yeah and he's just a he's a great guy like he's a easy to work with he's friendly he gives me a ride to pretty much every convention (laughs) so we get like 20 hours in the car together and he's sick of me but yeah we're gonna bring him on and sort of see why and how and where and what and other interrogatives two kevin's on the same podcast oh shoot it's like that thing where you see each other and the world explodes oh back to the future (laughs) all right i guess we can bring him on yeah i guess (laughs) And so, despite our better judgment, we have decided to bring on, as I call him, Other Kevin, (laughs) to talk about the Kickstarter. So, like we said, it's one thing to actually develop a game, you know, to spend years, months, maybe a few hours programming this giant masterpiece that becomes something like uh, Candelabra Estacero. It is a completely different animal to actually release it. So we are going to talk with uh, Kev here, who... Kev, you've done quite a bit in the community. Um, Do you want to kind of give us a bit of your background and then we'll dive into Astacero? Sure, yeah. It's um, definitely not as extensive as your guys's. Um, Obviously, I can't program or um, do music or do anything that's actually uh, what I would consider advantageous. Um, But yeah, yeah, I've... I've, uh, helped with some projects here they're either beta testing or released some projects in in the past that we we won't name no uh, name drop from magfest (laughs) you need to name drop people need to know what you've been involved with so so tell us uh i helped with a few releases early on kami killer which was interesting and then uh cornball cocksuckers which you guys might end up bleeping that out but no never no kevin rates these episodes explicit and r because he swears too much so oh yeah i let it ride my friend oh then that's perfect i I belong here yeah Uh, one of us yeah (laughs) yeah helped release that one and then ended up with the rom rights for that um so i've made a good handful of those and then uh, helped Bo with a few projects here and there like the uh zero to x boxes uh that, that's about it i mean i i helped no, um, you did um you'd want to focus on things like maybe the scare cart ah uh, yeah the scare cart that's that's a fun one that's that had an interesting 2018 um, um, awkward. Awkward. Okay, beyond 2018. 
No, the the scare cart was kind of fun. Um, it's a uh, just it's it's different. Um, I wanted to do something different. I can't program, so I was at the mercy of a lot of other people. Vec programmed the first, I think, the first couple, and then yeah, because fifteen and sixteen, and then we did a version of the incident for seventeen, which is my favorite one. My favorite um, too. Yeah, obviously, that's it's it's hard to go wrong with the incident, although. Nescape's pretty badass too, um, and Sneak and Peek. That one, that's the you best. Know what? We could we could do like a Sneak and Peek clone. That would be you know we amazing. should we should have him on all the time <laughs> because he's bringing in the Sneak and Peek jokes. Oh yeah, uh, he, know, he knows. He knows. He always knows. Fifteen copies of ET. Also, <laughs> I don't know how yeah. any of that shit happens. Yes, you've always been there. You're in the background, seemingly, but really you're in the foreground. Anyways, the point being, you've done a lot in the community. You you toted around to various conventions over the years, these tiny miniature, you got to kind of like stand on your knees to play them arcade cabinets with the slogan Kevbot's homebrew highlights. And all of this preface is just a big indication of the fact that we have waited like two years to actually have you on. I'm sorry about that. And you've kind of like introduced large members of the community that go to these things to homebrewers through these cabinets. Can you kind of tell us about what that project's been about and how that has, you know, involved you in the homebrew community over the years? Yeah, so I um I liked homebrews, obviously. Um got into them, started collecting uh retro zone or now retro USB games. Uh some of those were repros also, but uh, fell in love with homebrews and decided it would be fun and uh, worthwhile to take these games to different expos and events and show them off and try to uh, bring light to the to the homebrew community outside of Nintendo Age. Now, I'm, Nintendo Age has a ridiculous following for homebrews, and um, over over the last little while, we've seen. Uh, quite the expanse outside of Nintendo Age. Um, I, I'm not going to say the Homebrew Highlights cabs did that, but they may have contributed. <laughs> but you're not a not little... saying that. <laughs> well, they may have contributed to it a little bit, but really, that in, in the big picture, no, nah, no. Nah. But it, it's fun. It, it brings people together. Um, you know, I've enjoyed it because I get to try out different games and. I've got to meet a lot of really cool people just going to these different events and uh, I guess making a reason for me to go to some of these events. We appreciate it also because a lot of times we as developers aren't very good at marketing ourselves or getting the word out that, oh, I've made this cool game. So the fact that you would take it upon yourself to reach out to us and say, hey, you know, would you like me to showcase your game at these various expos? It it helps considerably. So we do thank you for that. Oh, yeah, not a problem. It's, it's gotten me more involved as well. And I've, obviously, I've got Astasaro on um, Kickstarter right now. It's the biggest project that I've been part of because, um, you know, before then was, now here, help help me assemble twenty copies of Kevin Power, or um, or hey, let's do this ten cart run of this Ninja Turtles game that's a four in one, um, and and then and then Console Killer, which is something completely different. You are currently doing something 
uh, for this Estasro campaign. Can you tell us a bit about that? So I'm publishing Candelabra Estasro. I got the opportunity to do it from Rob, and um, I kind of took it and ran with it. Uh, I've asked a lot of people for help um, because I've never done a Kickstarter campaign before. Um, asked for a lot of suggestions and uh, still apparently messed some of it up. Um, but no, it's it, it's fun. I got one of my buddies locally to help me with some artwork and the the music in Astasra was already awesome. So we just used that for everything. I've heard a few good things about the music, yes. <laughs> the music is awesome. So we've used the music in like the commercial and got the Kickstarter put together and it's doing a lot. It's doing extremely well right now. So how did you... How did you get together with Rob and actually acquire these rights? Did you like sit down over a beer and say, "Hey, I really like this game. Can I publish it for you?" Like, how did that whole how did that whole thing transpire? Well, um, Rob was having a hard time deciding exactly what he wanted to do with the game, and uh, I know you guys and I had talked to him about helping him with different aspects of publishing it. And, um, and there wasn't a lot of interest in that. Um, so basically I, I threw a number at Rob and, um, that at first he said no. Um, and then he had a chance to talk with his uh, wife about it. And, uh, I got a message a little, uh, I'm going to say probably a few days later and asked if the offer was still on the table, uh, which it was. So um, took me a little bit longer than expected to actually get down there and, and pay for it and do everything in person. But we've made it work. And um, yeah, it's, it's been history since, basically. Hmm. I'm glad okay. that you did because, uh, you know, I've, I've played this game for a couple of years now and it does deserve to be seen. So the fact that it's getting such a wide release and getting this kind of exposure um, and this kind of excitement that's come with that, uh, it's it's been great to see and I'm, I'm very glad. Me too. I, 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 my whole fear uh, about doing this was giving it the justice, giving it a release to do it justice because uh, yeah. it's that good. But, you know, I'm, I'm hoping or well, uh, I know you have a Kickstarter coming up soon, Kevin. I hope so. I was thinking maybe we would be able to piggyback off one another, but I, you know, I think we're probably cutting it close to time on that one. I don't want to say for better or worse, only for better. You have made available again things like the Mad Wizard and the Rise of Amandus, and the Rise of Amandus is amazing. So yeah. uh, is that going to be something that's offered post-Kickstarter? Is it just during Kickstarter? Like, is this is this people's only chance in the five days they have after they hear this episode? Ooh, that's a good question. Mm, you know that it's one uh, that i need to know that's a good question because that's something that hasn't been discussed yet okay interesting all right so if you want to see more of the rise of amandus and i do <laughs> uh you will email other kevin at hirschbergen dot uh, aol dot <laughs> net i think you're yeah. <laughs> well dot net we're going to AOL.net. Bo's new thing yeah. is just butchering email addresses and making them up <laughs> no. on the fly. Really, you just need to look in the show notes, and Kevin will have a link. <laughs> there it is. Where, 
<laughs> where you can contact other Kevin and it'll it'll be perfect. So yeah, uh, thanks for coming on. Thanks for chatting with us about this new game. Sorry it's taken so long for you to, to get you on. I mean, like there was just so many things that you've done in the community that it's uh, there's a lot there. <laughs> See you guys. So let's do you want to talk about what you've been up to? Um, yeah, I guess I guess a few things have been going on in life. Uh, tell me, tell me these things. I am still recovering from something they call PAX East. Oh man, you uh, you took the plunge and went to it. I did. The and you uh, worked it. I did. Well, I fi- I actually worked it. Yeah, uh, the fellows from Pittsburgh, Greg and Tim, who run Retrotainment, the Hunt Games, Full Quiet, all that garbage. Um, they asked if I would come out and like work the show for them. And I, I used to work home and garden shows because my dad ran a storage shed company, and so I, you know, good college money right there. <laughs> Fifty hours in like four days or whatever it, it comes out to because uh, the, these shows are long. And so, yeah, I went and like, you know, we're talking with, you know, I've only ever been to the retro game shows and PAX is apparently kind of a kind of a big deal. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of people. Um, I saw pictures and it looked pretty intimidating. I, I feel like it's like 90,000 people come oh through there God. and i i have no like frame of reference other than i've heard that prge is like thirty thousand people and that's the biggest show i've ever been to oh my god and besides that, magfest yeah and that feels busy you know so i can't even imagine oh this was non-stop you were talking to people every second and did you lose your voice after the first six hours yeah i was <laughs> i was done i was sucking cough drops like a coke addict um damn I assume coke addicts eat a lot of cough drops, but um, <laughs> I, I just assume why why not? Uh, they got nothing else to do. But absolutely. So I was just at PAX East, and that was very interesting to see an industry show. Like we were this little booth doing this weird thing, but less than fifty yards away was Nintendo's near city block of everything. <laughs> I hear you saw I hear you saw a couple uh mild celebrities there. I did. And it's weird. Like I've never I'm not into the YouTube, if that has not <laughs> become clear yet. And so when we go to these shows, they're like, Oh, that's so and so. He runs this show, and I'm like, What do I care? Like it's just some guy. <laughs> he's about my age, he's got more hair than me, big deal. Well, that's everyone, right? Except for me. Wah wah. Ah, there it is. But this time, like a few people came up and I'm talking with them and I'm giving them the spiel and they ask me because I was there for somebody else's company and I was, you know, talking their stuff. And they're like, so you program these? I was like, no, I actually like run my own little deal, which is much smaller, but I do all my programming, you know, sales, design, everything. They're like, oh, I designed this game. And I'm like, (laughs) wow. Oh, (laughs) like things just got real, real. Uh, Yeah. You design Killer Queen? That's neat. Uh, That's crazy. I I still can't believe you got to meet that guy. That was a hoot. Like, I wasn't expecting it. And it was just like, this guy comes up and we're just shooting the breeze. And suddenly, I mean, he he didn't name drop himself, obviously. But he was like, yeah, I I got that little booth over there. I'm like, that's not not a little booth. And you made one of the coolest games that I've played in the last decade. But you uh, you also saw the guy who made Super Meat Boy, right? From afar. 
I saw him from afar. I was a little too like nervous to go see him because I I watched the indie game er movie. Yeah, which I don't I don't watch a lot of movies, so it'd be like watching a B rated porno and being like, oh, I know you. <laughs> I shouldn't talk to you because well, and that's I guess that's sort of different. But uh, right, you can talk. Yeah. Just don't look him in the eye. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the uh, super meat boy guy. And he was like setting up and like eating a sub. And I was like, I know you, but you don't know me, which is kind of weird. There was him. There was some guy that like ran a publishing studio. And it was like, shoot, you've put out like a bunch of the games I actually like. And I'm going to sell you this for 60 bucks. Okay. (laughs) I, I should be giving it to you. But instead, I'm taking your money for a change, which is which is nice. Hey, your kids got to eat, Bo. Yes, the kids I don't have need to eat. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, PAX. That was it. Was an interesting, wonderful, fascinating experience to see. I hate to say it, but a real show. Um, <laughs> it's, oh, and that was another thing. All these college kids kept coming up to me and being like, "So this is really interesting. You're like a real programmer." And I'm like. Well, you clearly do some programming. And they're like, yeah, I, I work for, you know, Microsoft and I work for Tesla or I work for whoever. And I'm like, uh, you're the real programmer. <laughs> and they're like, no, I just get paid for it. Whatever you're doing is stuff that I don't understand. And I'm like, that's that's really strange. That's um, funny. It's like it's all about perspective. Like what you're is. not doing seems like it's more legit than what you are doing for everyone it seems like oh it is i mean that that's a fault of all people but i just i wasn't really expecting they're like yeah i had to take a class in assembly and the professor was like you'll never use this so don't even bother just pass the class and it's like you can use it it's here that's right that's awesome I don't know yeah. that I I don't know that I want to go to PAX. I mean, it sounds like it's a great experience, but it sounds so intense. Uh, it's again, if I hadn't worked a bunch of home and garden shows, it probably would have been, but Yeah. You know, you're selling a ketchup popsicle to a lady in white gloves. That's really what it comes down to. <laughs> Got to make the sale. Yeah, it's it's with all these things, it's the people you meet. And if you're really into like limited switch stuff, it was all at the show for dirt cheap. Oh, really? I apparently didn't offer that to you. I'm so sorry right now. Eh, life goes on. I bought a bunch of games for my buddy, but um, yeah, that's kind of uh, set me back in terms of my other stuff. I've, you know, still writing and still programming, and I'm really excited to start uh, kind of publicly showing people what the what the future is going to look like for Soul Goose Productions. It's going to be exciting. I think it's a it's a pretty huge step forward. You know, the the stuff that you're working on is is light years ahead of what you've done. So I'm I'm really excited for people to see it. That's the hard part. I do so much of my stuff kind of in secret. And recently, somebody leaked a video of what I've been doing into a chat. And some people were asking me about it. And it was like, oh, no, I'm not ready to talk about this yet. Um, <laughs> thanks, Pay Nathan. no attention to the man behind the curtain. Yeah, Nathan Talbert. I know you. Uh... But it was also very encouraging when people were like, others need to see this. And it's like, okay. and. I'm kind of understand that, but 
I want to make it uh, kind of presentable and, you know, up up to snuff, not just me yeah. rambling and doing stuff like I tend to do for these private things. So yeah, I, I'm exactly. ready. You're making these videos for, you know, your, your close friends to kind of show off. So it's you're not really thinking of how the general public is going to look at these and sort of understand them. Well, and I just don't I don't preface a lot of things like they just drop and that you know i'm only showing them to four or five people and so they don't really they already know the context of them and so i want to do something very special when i start to reveal uh the next project which is swords and runes five four Uh, (laughs) i was joking well i have five planned out but we don't (laughs) that was written like 15 years ago um we don't need to get into that right now all right all right right. what have you been doing kevin you have way more exciting news than my uh rambling stories of of meeting the legends uh bo it has been a very intense time over here at khan games we're celebrating our 10 year anniversary no i'm just kidding well i guess i'm not but um, yeah you are I have finished Any Escape. Uh, the game is done. The game has been submitted to Indiecade to be judged. Kind of terrifying, but uh, real peer review. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, yeah. it's a little intimidating to think about because you know when when you submit it, you have to include uh, a video playthrough and then like a trailer, and I had to like put all of these things together that I didn't consider ahead of time because I just was trying to finish the game by the deadline. And I literally finished the game like the morning of the deadline. And then I was like, oh, crap, I have to do all these things now. So I put together a, a, a gameplay video and, and a trailer and, and kind of just threw the stuff together. So that stuff wasn't quite as polished as I would have hoped to have been. Play some Gary you, Jewels? Did not. you? God, you bring that up every single time I mention the video. <laughs> That's uh, because your incident video, at least <laughs> my wife was like, is that is that seriously Gary Jewell's playing right now? And it's like, yeah. Hey, a lot of people liked that. That video is amazing. Thank you. Anyways, and very illegal. I bring it up because I'm proud of your illegal activities. I mean, you're you're porting games, you're knocking stuff off, and you're using copyrighted music. Why not? I'm a bootlegger. Um, I do hard time. <laughs> Yeah, so I got that off. Um, but after I submitted it, you know, some bugs popped up. Um, mm-hmm. I had a couple people play the game. Uh, Retromog found a couple bugs, and I've I've sort Wait, of give brought... Sergio a shout out. Oh yeah, I, well I was gonna get to that. Like I've brought, oh, okay, all I've right. brought different people on at different times, and all of them have found you know bugs in different places because everyone sort of plays the game differently, which has been great because it's really brought things to light that I you know would have possibly never found so um i've just been sort of patching the game as i can you know every time i bring a new tester on they find new things so right now as it sits i think it's done um barring any more bugs that have been found so uh i've switched my focus to sort of preparing for the kickstarter um i've acquired a lot of parts uh, items that can be found in the game i've bought real life versions of for my uh, Kickstarter commercial, which I have a pretty good idea of what I'm going to do. I just hope I can pull it off. Um, So after I get that filmed, and I've already gotten the Kickstarter typed up, so I just need to sort of drop some graphics in there, you know, put the video in there. Then it'll be sort of, I'm going to throw it out to the wolves and see if they want to eat, you know. Uh, I just hope that... 
I hope that the game goes over well. I, I everyone that's played it seems to have enjoyed it, so I'm hoping that the general, you know, consensus of people who come upon uh, upon the Kickstarter page, you know, think it looks interesting and want to give it a try. Uh, but I'm just I the fact that the game's done. I can sort of start reflecting on the process of, you know, how quickly it came together, how intense the work was, how great the art is and the music, like everything about the game just feels really complete and polished. So I just hope that translates uh, when people, you know, start playing it. So we'll see how it goes. Um, but I'm very proud. It's it's probably the game I'm most proud of at this point. Um, so I hope that, you know, in, in 20 years when people think of, you know, when people come a- across your homebrew book and they pop it open and they see, oh, look at these different people. Oh, here's this guy, Kevin. Uh, oh, yeah, he made that any escape game. That is his legacy. It's hard because between the worn out places and the pretty faces, it's a, that's a Gary Jules reference. Um, <laughs> it's a very obtuse game. Like it's hard to just pick up and, and play. I want to just um, grab your face and just like slam it into a wall. I'm so glad that we are across uh, a couple thousand miles here. Uh, <laughs> and, and no one no one knows that this re- this obtuse reference is like an inside joke. They're just like, why does he keep saying that? <laughs> well, it's just going to build into the legend like the Kahan army and Sneak and Peek. Yeah. Kevin makes it obtuse games. It's an um, obtuse joke. So, I mean, he just... I don't ooh, know. Very nice. <laughs> uh, but no, it is like it's not... And I'm I'm just going to I'm going to speak here about the game that we are probably going to cover in the next episode, which I've never I've never wanted this podcast to be about what is currently happening. It's it's you know, I don't want this to be a mouthpiece for projects that are coming out and Kickstarters and all that. But uh, Estacero is is a game that we are very both very close to. I mean, we witnessed the development in kind of a private chat. we saw the different builds. We know both the people, the person who programmed it, and the person who's putting it out, and we've waited <laughs> six years for yeah, it. Yeah, a long time. Five years. Um, and then NES Cape, um, which is Ness Cape. Like you're wearing a cape that looks like a cartridge. <laughs> Ness Cape. Um, yes, this that's is, what that means. I am the biggest fan of of Kevin Hanley doing original work. He does he does great ports. I'm not gonna lie. I never would have played Larry were it not for him. Frogger, wonderful. Stink and Peak. Uh, Stink and Peak. <laughs> e. T. Rope. No incident was original. Uh, you got like twenty others. Enka yeah. got. Um, nothing good can come of this. Several mm. others. Uh, I mean, he does wonderful ports, but Ness Cape is it's kind of your masterpiece, buddy. Uh, that is my hope. Um, I really, I want this game to do well and I want, uh, I want people to play it. And we, we never talk about what we're going to talk about next episode, but it's going to be Nescape. Yeah. And he may virtually strangle me into saying it the correct way, but, um, <laughs> like Jif. Gif. It, it's <laughs> Gif. But, uh, yeah, it's really, really neat. And, oh, where I was going with that is. It's not a game you can, you know, when you send it to me and it was like, play this and beta test it. And it was like, okay. And I was like, I'll breeze through it and I'll see how it is. You know, most <laughs> games you can do that. You're, you're like banging your head on the wall. It's so darn obtuse. Yeah. And you can't figure it. It's not something you can speed run. It's not something you can set a time limit 
on how you're going to figure it out, but you wake up the next day trying to like mentally figure out the puzzle that you were stuck on. And that to me is, it's like watching a great movie or a great book and being like, now how did that time travel work in Looper? Did he shoot himself? Like, I don't quite get that. It's that that same type of thing. Oh, I love Looper. Looper's amazing. Yeah, and uh, another thing, we have Super Nintendo Mouse 100% supported, so it is usable throughout the entire game. And we also got the uh, the Hyperkin mouse uh, to work, so it is also 100% functioning. So, Oh, you got that to work? I did. Um, Perfect. Brad yeah. Smith, I take it? Uh, no, actually, he. I found something out he did not know. Ooh, that is a rare day. Yeah, so the mouse has to be read four times. You know, a normal controller is is pulled uh, once or, you know, for eight of the different bits. But the mouse is uh, pulled four times. Um, For the Hyperkin mouse, you have to put a slight delay between the first two poles and the last two poles. uh, P-O-L-L-S. Yes. Um, So, yeah, it, uh, it was just... F- wigging out because the data was I guess pulling it too quickly um, but yeah it, I'm thrilled to have that working because you know we wanted to say that we had 100% mouse support for all the uh, Super Nintendo mice um, because the Hyperkin it, it doesn't feel great I mean it, it feels cheap but it is readily available for 20 bucks Ooh, so if snap. you want to buy it you know it, you can get on Amazon Amazon Prime have it in two days you'll be all set. Well, of course, if you have the adapter. But yeah, it's it's a great alternative um, if you just need a Super Nintendo mouse and can't get an original. So that was one of the things that happened with Spookatron and the Virtual Boy controller is that prices shot up once everybody started buying them up. <laughs> so right now, before we do the Nest Cape episode, it's probably the time to go find that Super Nintendo mouse and yeah. And I am going to offer a tier that comes with a Super Nintendo mouse uh, and an adapter, but it's going to be very limited. So I probably wouldn't depend on that uh, resource if I were you. Hashtag backed. (laughs) Thank you, Bo. I appreciate that. I do what I can to support the scene. (laughs) So let's talk about some of the things that are going on in the community right now. You know, a lot, we hit different periods in the year where like nothing happens There's no Kickstarters. There's no new projects that are being released on cart that we can physically buy right now. There's no new announcements. Everybody's just kind of in the uh, halcyon days, as we call them, in in late winter where the weather's calm, which I'm pretty sure is where Talbert got his uh, halcyon title from. But uh, Oh, really? I didn't put that together. No, he just picked a word. I had to tell him what it actually meant, (laughs) (laughs) as I like to do. But yeah, you go through the doldrums where like nothing's happening. And then all of a sudden, way too much happens to even keep track of. So what has been going on, Kevin? Well, um, it's been a little while now, but the Nest F competition uh, finished and the results came in. Yeah. So do you want to kind of, we didn't do our giant uh, seven hour uh coverage <laughs> and for those seven it was our epic <laughs> yeah for our seven hours there was actually like 
10 hours of recordings and interview. No, there was more than that because a couple of guys went wonderfully really long because I can use that in my book research, but <laughs> we needed like a, t- a 10 minute segment. Thank you both Brad and Paul uh, for that. And they both know that most of their stuff got cut because I had to tell them that, but uh, they were great talks, but we had to really pare them down. Anyways, the point being uh, we did not cover it in the ridiculous depth that we did last year right so right. this year let's uh let's quickly go through the results if we uh, if you don't mind let's do it it looks like a a, a veteran from 2017 looks like they took the top spot with grunio zerka three three yeah that'd be um mt and lucas yeah they um have swept the board again uh i assume i haven't got to play some of these but uh that one i'm not a big puzzle platformer guy but yeah it seems that other people are and that took yeah top spot yeah it's hard i mean it's hard to beat a game that looks that pretty so mt does very wonderful work and uh lucas does lucas does very (laughs) i just you know Running gags. He is a master programmer, uh, the type yeah, of person they're a good team. you hope to be in 20 years. Um, <laughs> but you know what's real surprising yeah. to me? Are, are you what? Are you like sitting down? I am sitting down. Because your game last year did terrible. It, it, uh, it sucked. I, I appreciate you reminding me of how yeah, poorly I mean, it, it did. Was, that's, that's great. It was like real bad. Um, how bad was it, Bo? Oh, I feel like this is uh, you're setting me up for something so no, no, bad. It was, yeah, it was just it was next to last play. This is pretty bad. Oh, next to last. Okay, but <laughs> yeah, okay. the The problem was it was a really fun game to play, but you had to have two players. And this right. this year, despite all the odds, second place in the Nestev competition was a multiplayer game. <laughs> How in the world did they pull that off? Do you know why? Uh, I assumed because it's a good game and mine wasn't, but please enlighten well, me. Well, I mean, that obviously, but uh, so the second intro or entry was Talbert gets talked about a lot on this podcast. I feel like we should have him on more. Um, yeah. But Nathan Talbert's Super Homebrew War, which was yeah. like a Smash Brothers type game that featured characters and battle scenes from homebrew games. So are you saying that's why it scored so well? Because it included characters from some of these judges' games, so it, it, it won them over in that regard? No, I don't, I don't think it included the judges' games. But no, I mean, it was like interreferential and yeah. people liked it like a lot of times i don't even think the people play the multiplayer games but this one they were like oh man that's my character in there i should check this out or like oh i played mm-hmm. these eight games and i can play all eight of the characters yeah not that uh my spaceman was in there or anything which was drawn by the <laughs> most excellent chris cacciatore i think the fact that it was involved the community helped it but it's a very solid game like you play as the mad wizard heckle or you play as the spaceman you play as the twin dragons or you play in the twin dragon uh, battlefield like it's just so interesting and he did oh you can also play as a piece of toast and you can play as player one from study hall. Yeah, yeah. The piece of toast <laughs> was his um, 
one of his daughter's drawings of, I think, herself. Uh, but it looks like a piece of toast uh, with stick legs. <laughs> and That's hilarious. Those were his testers. His kids were his testers. And so I was really happy to see a multiplayer game score second. And also just I feel like I can rub your face in that just a, a little in weird ways. Yeah, I mean, I have to live with the fact that I, I finally got the courage to enter the competition and got my ass kicked. But, oh, see, you know. when when you don't fight back, it it makes it makes me feel like a bully and that makes me sad. Well, you are a bully, <sighs> Bo. Your game was great. Uh, <laughs> the the creator of the original thought so, or at least he told me that. Oh yeah. Or told someone yeah. that did, that told me. Did that. you ever get his permission to actually release that? Oh. Oh god, Anyways. no. You know I don't do that. <laughs> uh what else uh what what scored next here uh third place was the game that i personally at a deep-seated fanboy level felt should have been number one it is called we are uh hegical hegical yeah one of those hegical maybe um (laughs) it was done by pubby he last year he entered f to ff and the masterful thought-provoking post whatever uh, <laughs> Star Evil, which was you know the reimagining of the Action Fifty Two game, and we we talked with him last year at length, and I I hated having to cut stuff from that interview because that yeah. dude is fascinating. Yeah, and that game turned out to be sort of the darling of the competition. Oh, I like love when everyone. You call darling. Do I use that word often? Yeah, you've used, darling, you've used it a few um, times. <laughs> but everyone seemed to love the intrigue that that game sort of presented because um, it is not at all, you know, what you think it is at first. So, yeah, it's 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 cool to see him back with such another great game. Yeah, and that was a it, like an actual roguelike with randomly generated mazes. And mm-hmm. you, a lot of people for years, that's been the debate. Well, you can't do a randomly generated maze game on the NES. And it's like, ah, I think you probably can. And yeah. if anybody's going to do it, it was going to be Pubby. And <laughs> I, you know, as interesting as the game play was, he does sound as well. And he also does art. His art is very, very good. Um, it's very well done. No arguments there? Yeah, well, I didn't expect any because he's awesome. <laughs> but look at this. Fourth place, Uh-oh. another multiplayer game. Do you just feel like worse and worse about yourself right now? I I do. Like It's just <laughs> like, you know, last year I had that defense like, oh, it was a multiplayer game and that's why it scored poorly. And I don't know if this year's results are like, a reflection of that and they went out of their way to score them higher that's what i'm going to tell myself anyway but they're all like second place fourth place like these are cash prize winning entries and they're multiplayer and i love seeing they're not even that they are cash prizes that they had to pass on the first time for the the (laughs) new category called multiplayer because people like kevin were so tired of being passed over that they had to create their own category yeah, I'm glad that they created that the year after I submitted mine. So thanks a lot, guys. Well, I think I think what happened is in the last year, a bunch of the judges got some friends. They could play locally. Done. Yeah. Cricket, is that where you do your well, crickets uh, sound where effects? Where is... I don't even use sound effects. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, but, 
what, the the 2017 cartridges aren't even out yet. Like, what gives? I want my cartridge. Oh man, we have INL recorded as saying they'd be out by like December. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Well, Paul. Moving on. What do you think about that, buddy? <laughs> I know he listens. Oh yeah, he listens. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what he's not doing when he listens: it, making my cartridge. If you're unhappy with the that fact please email paul at inl at gmail or wherever dot com and express <laughs> your dissent I'm, I'm glad that you nailed that email address for everyone mm, to write to i clearly have memorized it yes <laughs> so fourth place tesla versus edison which is a play on tesla and somebody else uh thomas edison no it's not edison it's it's somebody else because i just watched the prestige and i had to look it up and i read the book and so yeah tesla versus edison nice multiplayer game you could play that there's a bunch of other results you can check them out they're all free to download as always um i mostly wanted mm-hmm. to mention we are hegical because i think it's great <laughs> oh and the fact that, and it's fun to say yeah and the fact that the, somebody made euchre on the nes What's Euchre? See, nobody outside the Midwest knows what Euchre is, but it's, it's a card game you play at the factories on lunch. Um, oh. I played it for a year in like eighth grade in the cafeteria, and I still don't really know how it works. I always lost, and I think that's why they let me keep playing, because they got to win. So you're saying an obtuse card game a very got obtuse. eighth place... And scored higher than my game did last year. Oh yeah, your game sucked. Um, okay. Oh wait, we got. I mean, I'm just oh, we just digging a hole here of how poorly I. We did. have one more that I want to talk to by uh, Scott Hyatt. Talk to. I want to talk about. A boot. A boot. Yes, by Scott Hyatt called Split Second. Did you see that one? I did not. Okay, so Scott did. Uh, he goes by like Scotty Hyatt on. No, Scott Diet. Oh, we talked about him before. Scott Diet, yes. His game where it, um, he recreated like a handheld electronic. Oh, yeah, 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 that one. Yeah, the one that we talked about last episode, which feels like uh, yeah. roughly three months ago. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was really sad to see that score like third from the bottom. Yeah, and that's that's the downfall. You know, the negative part of these competitions is like something has to get last place or, you know, toward the bottom of the list. I guess that's the new multiplayer game. Yeah, I mean, they should name this category. Nothing good can come of these games. Mm. Um. (laughs) Well played, sir. Yeah, but no, it's it's a great idea. It looked great. Um, Yeah, it's a shame that uh, it didn't score higher. Yeah, but the important part was, I think, for him was, you know, finishing a game, getting it out, and being able to move on to who knows what. I probably need to check on that now that I think about it. Yeah, look at that. Multiplayer category had cash prizes for they themselves. $100 for first place. Which was passed down to second place because first place did so well. Yeah. Oh well. Yeah. Maybe another year I will uh, try again and score equally low. Yeah. So the Nestev competition has come and gone. That was our very quick coverage instead of the seven to twelve hours. <laughs> uh, and Paul, Infinite NES Lives, INL, he'll be putting out the cart. Twenty twenty. Oh, 2021. Yeah, actually, yeah, 2020 feels <laughs> like it should be in the future, but it's just next year, and that's weird. 
But he has, he's so busy. Like, I understand why these, these compo carts, they're, they're a labor of love. He doesn't make a lot of money off them, if any. And, you know, he mostly does it to promote the community, which stellar guy. Uh, very, yes. very great guy. But he's also done this expansion audio board. Have we talked about that yet? I don't think so, um, but he had you know his units up there at Magfest, um, and we got to sort of hold them and and you know okay. talk to him about them. All right, I'm gonna. He had his units there, and we got to hold them, touch them, and put them in our mouths. No, <laughs> I didn't say anything about mouths, uh, but I mean we did. Uh, <laughs> well, that's a weird way to say it, but uh, yeah, he had his stuff at Magfest units. Hmm? Units. He had his units at Magfest, and we got to kind of try try them out. Uh, (laughs) So the expansion port on your NES. If you flip your original toaster over, you'll see this like little uh, rectangular box that, if you pinch it, you Mm -hmm. can pull it off. That's what she said. Um, And underneath is another gray plastic sheet. But if you take a Dremel. And you cut that off, <laughs> you will find under there Japan's secret entryway into the U.S. for terrorist activities. What? No, that was a big concern. Like when people discovered that this secret port existed on the bottom of the NES, they flipped out. And you can find the historical resources online. You can go check that out. There is an expansion port. And they actually ran a modem to it in Japan. Like you could do your banking, uh, do some stock stuff and gamble with horse racing because, you know, why not? Could could you play BS Zelda on it? No, that was later. Lame. I know you can actually play a game on it, but you could gamble with with horse betting. I wonder who the first person was to decide I'm going to Dremel this off because something has to be underneath. it. I think. I think what you do is take the PCB out and go, why is there a weird port under there? And, oh, it aligns with that <laughs> weird thing I can Dremel off. And then you Dremel it off. I guess that would be easier. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you ever if you ever have rare electronics, do not send them to Kevin Hanley. <laughs> <laughs> least, uh, at least not when he's in a Dremeling mood. But what's cool about this uh, chip that you can stick in that expansion slot is it just it just works, right? You don't have to wire anything up. It just slides in. Yeah, Paul built this thing. So the Famicom had an extra audio channel that the NES does not have. And expansion audio, it's called uh, to most of us. It's on the AVS, things like that, naturally. But you can use this expansion port to get your extra channels and then... Yeah, you have full sound like uh, Castlevania 3 had like extra stuff to it. Some games that should have had it like Final Fantasy 3 did not. Uh, Gimmick, you know, that had extra audio coming through that that uh, port. And the NES can have all that, but you have to have this little board that Paul has made. And it's really, really neat that he did it. I feel like it's going to open up some avenues for homebrewers to take advantage of expansion audio because none of us have wanted to because it's like, oh, well, it, it won't work on an NES. And now, now it will. Yeah, I'm personally blown away because I did not realize, like I always thought anytime I read, you know, expansion audio on the Famicom, like, oh, okay, that's n- that's something that I can never have on the NES. Like I never even considered, like I wouldn't have thought 
oh, all we need is to devise this board that we can plug in here and it'll magically work. Like, how did he even realize he could do this? Like, that that blows my mind. It's so simple. It's like, why did nobody think of this 20 years ago? Uh, hmm. Because, like, Chicken, he did an expansion audio board that gave, you know, internet functionality and all these expansion audio and keyboard functionality and all these other things like Famicom peripheral stuff. But Paul's solution is so stupidly simple. It's just like, here's your audio. Done. Just plug it in. Ah. <laughs> huh. I have a stack of Namcot 180 boards uh, just to use the expansion audio. And now I just need to do something else with them. Cool. We should do some music carts with those. Well, now we can do music carts for... Uh, well, you still need like the onboard sound. So yeah. Yeah, we can do something with those. Hmm. Cool. Thanks for making me not feel like I wasted all that money. <laughs> I bought them for the cases. See, I'm a good friend. I don't I don't rub your nose in things that you do poorly on. I, I tell you good things that you can do with your life. Well, other obtuse games have been coming out lately, <laughs> like the Mojonian Tales, which the Mojon twins, these fellas, they have produced supposedly fellas. That I mean, I don't mean, I don't think they're women, but I just mean, like, there might only be one of them. Well, I know Nathan's involved, and not Talbert, but this Nathan. And... Another name. I, I, another multi-name. We just... Uh, we're gonna have to start sending you to the island. Um, that's, a, that's an obscure Ewan McGregor reference, but I think somebody out there got it. <laughs> Anyways, they've, they've done more games than even Kevin Hanley. Uh, like 50 different games for the NES. They enter. The, Whoa! I know they enter the competition every year. They've released a faux bootleg multi-card of their stuff. They they're like mocking themselves. I love it. I love the um, we don't take ourselves too seriously approach. But their yeah. stuff has always been hard to find. And if you've backed their uh, what is that Spanish Kickstarter? website's name okay, oh verkami if you've backed their verkami campaigns you might not have ever received your rewards like myself um <laughs> i received three of them i didn't receive the others like they've had some issues with uh production we'll say because they just they want to make games they don't want to deal with cart molds and boxes and labels and customers and all that so they are have now partnered up with INL uh, who just did that wonderful little expansion board we talked about two seconds ago he's the same guy he um is gonna start putting their stuff out in the US and through that the world but it's great to see them finally like get a handle on production because Paul's very reliable I mean sometimes when my wife goes to order me Christmas presents he's a little slow but uh he he always gets everything out he cares he does good work and you never have to question his motives like he's just he's a stellar guy and so I'm excited to see their stuff being released through them him yes Micromages, have they started shipping those cartridges yet? No. Okay, but all of them have been at least delivered from uh, Broke Studio to uh, the Micromages guys, correct? Uh, yes. So Julius and Nicholas, the Micromage Morphcat Studios these days, 
Uh, the two of them, they have basically converted uh, their parents, one of their parents' basements into a full-blown, we're going to build carts uh, workshop. And That's awesome. I can't even get like a yes or no response from Julius at this point because they are so bogged down with producing <laughs> like thousands of cartridges, which... yeah. You you don't I mean that's what you always hope for until it happens and then you're like uh oh we should have yes, we should have hired only two people yeah and we have to do this <laughs> and then ship it yeah oh man and then the shipping the packaging like they're gonna be busy for a while but Micromages is on its way to people's hands and uh, having looked through their previous work I'm most excited for what they're going to do next I love Micromages you know that it's like my number to homebrew ever mm-hmm. right after lizard and it is just I, I say that like it's sarcastic but that's the truth um i know i know you know but i don't know i don't know you're clarifying for the world yeah something like that but it's such a good game and i want i want people to play it it's i'm very excited to get the feedback maybe i'm crazy but on micromages yeah Oh, you're not crazy. I mean, it is an, an awesome game. Yeah, I mean, it, it's four players of like just fun. You can sit down with your friends and you know jump to the top of the level and and beat a boss. Like it's it's easy to pick up and play, uh, and people are gonna love it. I mean, there's a reason that the campaign did so well. Which is crazy because there was no demo. There was just like some videos and them talking, and it's like, oh man, you don't understand how good this game is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that uh, video they made, sort of detailing on you know how they crammed everything into forty kilobytes, that that started trending on Reddit again today. <laughs> oh, jeez, man, that it's, is uh, just... it's a video that won't go away. It's just doing very well for them. That is nuts. I looked at their like pre-campaign page, and I was like, you have this weird technical video that nobody's gonna like, and sure enough, a million views. So crazy, huh? If I ever give you advice, just don't listen. <laughs> I rarely do. <laughs> um, but Project Blue is coming along too, right? Yeah, that's due on Kickstarter soon. That's done by uh, Toggle Switch and Franken Graphics. Beautiful game. Uh, yes. Programmed very well. That's the one that uses the SMB physics. It's it's very interesting. I'm excited to see it on Kickstarter. Uh, it's It's been delayed several times, but I know it's only been delayed because they're both kind of perfectionists. And they're going yeah, to make sure they want to get it right. Yeah, they're going to make sure that it's everything it should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you only get it's kind of tried to say, but you really only get one chance for a first impression. So like they just want it to be as good as they know it can be. So I, I don't blame them for taking the time. Um, and I'm sure it will do very well on a Kickstarter also. Yeah, and that was the one that I, I kind of felt like it should have won last year's Nestev competition. Not not that Grunio Zerka 2 was bad by any means, but I am jaded when it comes to puzzle platformers and Project Blue <laughs> was a wonderful single screen experience. Yeah. So what's next? Oh, did did you happen to see uh, that thread on Nintendo Age about that uh, that guy that's putting together a, a compilation cartridge of Zelda music? The Dark Side of the Moon one? No, 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 no. Zelda, isn't it Zelda Moonfall? Zelda Moonfall, yes. Tell me nice. about it, Kevin. Uh, so he is actually taking Zelda tunes not featured in any of the NES Zeldas since obviously, you know, that NES versions of that music already exist, but he's uh, composing and basically transcribing and rearranging uh, music from you know the Super Nintendo Zelda up through like modern Zeldas, and he's uh, going to release 
uh, on donors, sadly. Uh, a physical version of this <laughs> cartridge uh, for people to uh, purchase. Yeah, and that kind of that blurs the line for homebrews for me, where somebody you know kind of bootlegs licensed era stuff, but it's it's all original. It's well, it also blurs it for me because it's a chiptune thing. Yeah, but uh, I I think it'll be interesting to see. I'm curious to see where it goes, and I think the biggest part of the project is that it's helped the guy get his get going with assembly like it's something he's wanted Mm -hmm. to do for years and it's a passion project he's not out there purposely bootlegging for money and i don't think it's going to be a very wide release since he's like burning the eproms and assembling these all himself um i don't think there's going to be more than i don't know like 30 or so oh i think he said like 20 and now that we are going to uh, promote this to the world (laughs) i probably need to go reserve uh, my copy (laughs) It's going to be the next Galf. We're not going to get one. Oh, I uh, thanks to Zellius, I now have a copy of Galf. Yes. What? Thanks, buddy. You're getting a shout out right now. He, Are you joking? No. When we... Um, rec- I'm quitting the podcast right here on the air. Oh, that... Oh yeah, he didn't offer to you. Oh, that... I am. This is the second thing I haven't been offered on this podcast. Like you don't buy me Switch games. He doesn't give me Galf. I don't. I don't think I have any friends. That that makes my heart warm. <laughs> oh, does it? Is that it bad? Makes my heart break. Oh yeah, last night when we went to go uh, record the Rob one, he messaged me, "Hey, do you want this before I put it on eBay?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Kevin. I wish you could see the anger in my face right now because I am seeing red. And Bean and I'll talk about it later. Yeah. Well, you just finished this episode yourself. Uh, I I can. Um, the next. <laughs> The next game we're going to talk about, I'm going to talk about, I guess, because Kevin has checked out. It is called Untitled Adventure Game. I bet the creator of this game would offer his friends nice things. Well, it's tough. Between the two of us, people have to make a choice, and they they choose both. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. Let's just let's just continue. No, no, no. this is like where Darth strikes down Obi Wan, and not bitter. Yep, you're just a pile of robes, buddy. Um, Untitled Adventure Game by Blue Blue, uh, which is spelled in a weird French way like blue cheese. Um, This this might be the game that I am most, absolute most excited about. Now, I'm not familiar with this. Can you tell me what is going on? Is this is this isn't the other roguelike, is it? No, this is full RPG. Oh, okay. And it uses kind of. A more minimalistic style of graphics, kind of like uh, some of the GBA. Swords and Runes? Okay, not like that. Uh, <laughs> see, you come back with a vengeance when you come back. You just like, <laughs> stick that sword in my runes. Nope. No, that sounds yeah. weird. You yeah, just she did not say that. No, she didn't. Yeah, that's, that's a strange <laughs> thing to say. Um, no, it's a it's an RPG. It looks kind of like the GBA Pokemon's, and also maybe kind of like Mother Three esque. Ah. Yeah, uh, it, it just looks. It leans into the NES restrictions instead of trying to be this really detailed Ninja Gaiden Castlevania like I'm gonna dither everything. It just goes for like minimal graphics, and it just looks so friendly and nice and. This is this is the one on my radar, and the person's kind of posted about it here and there. They haven't posted much, and they haven't posted in a while, which always concerns me. But the game looks phenomenal. 
Where can we read up on it? Is it is it over at Nestev? Uh, it was on Twitter, but yeah, it's over on Nestev. If you go to uh, the homebrew section and you scroll down a bit, you'll find a game called Untitled Adventure Game Milestone 2 Basic Gameplay by, you guessed it, Blue Blue. Hmm. And there's not a lot of information. You'll see some pictures and you'll see a video or two. And it just looks so nice. It it doesn't look like what should ever be on the NES, but it, there it is. So. so you're hoping that his silence is him deep in work knocking this game out, not, oh, he's lost interest or motivation and the game will never see the light of day. Yeah, well... I assume all people are like me, and that's just how they work. So, yes. Um, yeah. Well, I'm going to check that out. That sounds cool. Oh, it's to me, it's the most promising game of ever. Better than Neotoxin. Damn. Mm-hmm. Now, you are you're sort of putting things in perspective now. I tend to do that. We've talked about perspective quite a bit this episode. <laughs> so, have you seen that, um, that tech demo that's based off of that Super Nintendo game called Axelay? Um, it has like sort of various pers- oh that's that word again perspective uh, of like scrolling. It's like a space shooter. It looks like yeah, that is technically it's blowing up. Technically, that is one of the most interesting things that has come out. Um, yeah, and I I ooh, I don't understand it. Like how it's done. Have you looked at how it's done? I mean, I, I sort of formed quick thoughts into my head. I didn't actually stop to, like, analyze it hardcore. Uh, Greg, uh, last week at the pack stuff, he and I sat there for, like, I don't know, 20 minutes and tried to figure it out. And he's trying to tell me. And I, just, I was like, that's not how it's done. It can't be. <laughs> and I still don't really and oh and he was talking to Teppels through email at the time and Teppels is trying to explain it to me via Greg and I'm like no this doesn't make any sense <laughs> and he's he's too smart for his own good so like right. I didn't understand it but I spent the next like two days pondering it and I'm still not quite sure but well it's pretty to look at regardless what, what, it, what is going on on the screen that you see that's so mystifying to me which you clearly know because it's also mystifying to you it's it's hard to say that it's mystifying I mean I, I just look at that and think this looks very pretty like it looks like art it doesn't look like anything else I've seen on the system clearly he's doing some fancy tricks i mean i i don't even know scan line counters who who the hell knows um it's way beyond it's way beyond anything that i can do um but uh do you want to have a a crack at explaining Um, it's just a a, a ship scrolling around the screen shooting things yeah but it's it's what's going on underneath that that is most impressive. Yeah, gameplay-wise, it's like, you know, you're just shooting some asteroids that are coming at you, big deal. But in terms of the scrolling, like, what's happening is the screen is bending. At the top, yeah. it's short, and at the bottom, everything's much longer, and in the middle, things are normal. Yeah, and, it's cool, man. Like, it's the it's all stretched in such a way that just 
I like, I love the feeling of being lost when I'm traveling and I, I get stuck somewhere and I look around and I, go, I have no clue where I am and I just get lost. And it's this great feeling of not knowing where I am because that really doesn't happen a lot in life anymore. And this is that same type of feeling of, how, how is this even possible? Like, how is this guy <laughs> doing this? And I don't know. And he's like a magician. I just love it. Yeah. It's very impressive. And there's a reason that it's blowing up on Twitter. I mean, everyone is talking about it on every Nintendo forum that I frequent. So yeah, we um, didn't it, think it's clearly getting the exposure. No, I mean, we 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 didn't. Is there going to be a CIB release? <laughs> That's all everyone ever asks. Uh, no, this turns out this is just a tech demo. Uh, the programmer just wanted to see if he could do it. Uh, he pulled it off, and he is moving on. It's it's not even a game. Um, he just sort of wanted to show off what he was capable of and uh he clearly left his mark and a lot of people don't care for that like we've seen tech demos come and go over the years but this is in many ways something that most of us didn't know could even be done and so i my hope is that it influences actual developers to i mean developers that want to you know incorporate it into larger projects that are more than tech demos um i'm hoping to see some of this type of stuff uh in the future um, so like he's you know he's blown all of our minds he's shown us the way and like what are we going to do with this knowledge now that we have it to turn it into fun interesting games yeah there's a lot of uh, good possibilities that are going to come from that and you know it, it always takes sort of you know the first person to land on the moon to show the world that it's possible so um i i think that people are going to take this and they're going to turn it into some unique experiences. So I only good things will come from that. Uh, I'll just call it a, a breakthrough for the lack of a better term. Um, so, yeah, we'll see wh wh what comes of that and wh where it takes the community. Um, we're going to close this episode. So in my book research, I have come across many games that were not finished and uh, they were in advanced stages. So we're going to play some music by a certain developer, which I'm not quite able to say, I don't think. So I'm not going to because I'm not quite sure. Uh, this was the original music in a game that you know and love that someday I will be able to tell you what it is. But um, <laughs> I like when you're vague too, Bo. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he, <laughs> he pulled his own music out of it and put somebody else's into the final build. And this is his own version, which has been stuck in my head for weeks on end. So here is Untitled Track by Untitled Composer. Find our Patreon. Bye.